0: We have made it. It is day four of 2023 softball media days. The finale, the final of four just stacked podcasts. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury here on the Out of the Box podcast feed. Tom, we have reached the end. How do
1: you feel? I feel pretty good. I mean, this has been uh, another great softball mini days. Got some great interviews, three more coming up here in this podcast. And uh, I think We've gotten to a point where we are at least a little bit more uh, knowledgeable about these teams, even if there are some teams that are still trying to figure themselves out at this point. I feel really good about the top five that we will do inevitably, somewhat, I yeah. think. Maybe. Yeah, I do. But there's, there's going to be one, if, whenever we do these, The there's always going to be at least one team that's going to fall very short. And there's going to be one team that we're not thinking about that's going to be up in there. We'll see. Agreed. And maybe it's one of the three teams that we'll talk about here today. Very some To
0: some capacity. Yeah. Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, and then, of course, the fall ball special. We'll get to that a little bit later. Tom, this is probably, according to the outside world, the people that aren't at practice who didn't go to fall ball, this is probably the Alabama team with the most question marks in a very long time. And we've talked about that in the past, but the post-Montana era is beginning. Allison Habits is gone after 25 years in tuscaloosa and now it's time to find out what's next
1: yeah and when you have a player like montana fouts a once in a generation type player uh that's been the face of not only your program really the face of college softball for her career when her time is done and she's moved on there's going to be question marks it's hard you know it's hard to uh say you're going to keep that same level but you know that's kind of also the Uh, the life of college athletics and it's not as though Montana Fouts not being here this year comes as a surprise to Patrick Murphy. Sometimes you actually do run out of eligibility. (laughs) Yes and yes we got we got a bonus year of Montana and everybody else but yeah the, the the plans for how you replace somebody even the caliber of Montana Fouts are in motion you know when that player is a freshman. Yeah, yeah. So there's there is always that. And then the fact that the transfer portal has become such a major part of that as well, you know, it's a year to year thing as far as that goes. So it's, I think Alabama has put themselves in a tremendous spot coming up for the post Montana era, the first year of it going to be a little bit under the radar to start things off, probably for the best. I'm down for that. I could not be happier. I would I hope no one talks about Alabama until, you know, halfway through March. Unfortunately, that's not quite how it'll work. Probably not how it's going to work, but
0: we can dream. Sure. (laughs) So Patrick Murphy will be here to talk all things Crimson Tide. Next up, Maddie Penta is back. Her name is Maddie Penta. We know who
1: she is. She's not out of eligibility, unfortunately, for Alabama or other people. Right. Auburn's like, thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah, Auburn's very excited about it. The
0: question is, is this an Auburn team that is ready to take an even bigger step forward this year with Maddie Penta leading the charge?
1: They have a lot of good parts around her. Uh, we'll see if they can put them all together. Going to be a team, another one that, even with the returning SEC Pitcher of the Year, Maddie Minta, going to be a little bit under the radar to start things off.
0: Right. And will we respond to Mickey Dean's call? Spoiler alert, probably not. Probably not. No. Finally, another old softball interview with Jamie Traxel. as we look at the Ole Miss Rebels. I'm kidding. We dive into a lot of stuff uh, with Jamie Traxel, the head coach. Of Ole Miss because a lot of change has come. You know, they lost some people to the portal. They lost some key people to graduation. The staff is completely new. The world's smallest press box is gone. I mean, they're like, everything is changing at Ole Miss. And now the question is, what does that change lead to in the immediate? I think long-term, it could work. But this is a results now type of society, especially in a year like this in the league. Ole Miss can't fall behind.
1: Yeah. They they have to find ways to steal one is probably the the wrong term, but they got to find ways to win games that they're not expected to. Right. We'll figure out how that could happen.
0: Yes. And and again, new stadium, just a lot. And we'll we'll dive into that in a bit. There's going to be a lot of excitement. Yeah, for sure. But we start with the people that all the Alabama fans have been begging us to hear from. And... We save him for the leadoff spot on day four for a reason. It's our friend Patrick Murphy. The Hall of Famer.
1: Yes. Which hall? All of yes. them. Yes. Multiple. <laughs> Just it's like it's a whole home. Right, yes. <laughs> but there, I mean, yeah, like you said, a lot of a lot of change, a lot of a yeah. lot of turnover, a lot, but it's all I think there's a lot of excitement.
0: Yeah. And, and I think what I really appreciate about this interview with Murph, he's always been pretty forthright with us sure. and, and, you know, why not? We're with him every day. But I, I found a lot of his honesty about particular things really refreshing, and we'll, we'll cover that when we come back. Yeah, very excited to hear it. Yeah, let's play the audio. Patrick Murphy, head coach of Bama U, joining us right now to start off day four. <sighs> we return The Softball Media Days here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury, pleased to be joined by the head coach that we spend the most time with of all 14 that we will have chatted with during this series. He runs Bama U. He is the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, Patrick Murphy. Coach, good to see you. How are you?
2: Yeah, good to see you guys. And I think it's a credit to both of you that, and I'm hoping that all 14 coaches uh, partake in this. Is that correct? So good. Yes. It says a lot about you guys and what you do for the sport. So on behalf of the other 13, I'll say thank you to both of you. Um, (laughs) The the more media coverage we get, the better for the game. And you guys obviously know that uh, Olympic softball is back on the uh, schedule for 2028. And I think, again, you know, I think we talked about this a couple of years ago about what can the sport do to keep growing. And, you know, when that happens, I think it just explodes all over the country because now young ladies have a goal again. And you guys both know that Haley McClinney and Montana Fouts, that's a goal of theirs. And, you know, I'm sure both of them are going to do whatever they have to do to get on that team. And whatever happens happens because the number one goal as a country is to win the gold medal. So it's uh, an exciting time for softball. And I think both of you also realize that, you know, ticket sales were through the roof last year for us. Again, we set every attendance record possible. And uh, I just, I don't think it's going to stop. You know, on Montana obviously was a huge draw. And where, wherever we went, it was like traveling with Michael Jordan and the Beatles. <laughs> and, you know, I'll have stories till the day I die about the reception that we got at, you know, in particular at Marshall for her home visit. I'll never ever forget that. And I can re, I remember getting off the bus and seeing this young security guard, his eyes were as big as volleyballs and he looked right at me and he said does this happen everywhere (laughs) pretty much and it was just unreal so i'm glad to be on again with you guys
0: i'll speak for tom and say we also appreciate montana because those autograph lines meant we did not have to speed through post game if we were riding the bus we had time so that was much appreciated as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, you, you guys, and Nathan are were not having to sweat uh, missing the bus. Now <laughs> I don't know. You might have to run a little this year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, well, we've been getting our steps in in preparation, Coach. There's a lot that we've got to cover here. Uh, we'll we'll discuss all of the staff news from this off but I want to make sure that we start with allison habits and her retirement obviously the two of you worked together for so long that the connection has been strong for so many years what did she mean to you and what did she mean to alabama
2: well i if there was such a thing as a work wife it was her <laughs> 25 years at alabama i coached her for four years at louisiana lafayette we were friends in between there for about three to four years her family adopted me when I was in Louisiana and whenever she came to Iowa, which is a couple of times our family adopted her. And, you know, you don't, you're not around somebody for over half your life without getting attached to them. And, you know, just a great family, a great person, uh, a great role model. And, you know, obviously we're going to miss her, but she, you know, retired for all the right reasons. Mom's doing much better. Um, And, you know, after, you know, she actually flew up to Iowa to tell me in person, because I was home, we had gone to Italy this summer. And, and when we got home, we were all exhausted. So I said, you know, everybody has like two weeks off, turn off your phone, do what you need to do. And uh, obviously, I didn't turn my phone off, because she texted me. (laughs) She said, Hey, are you in Iowa? And I said, Yes, she goes, I think I'm 30 minutes from Cedar Falls. And I'm like, that's where my mom lives. And I was like, uh-oh, I think something's going on. So I said to mom, I said, we are going to have a visitor here in a little bit. And, uh, of course, my mom was really happy until she found out the news. And But, you know, we're excited for her. And, you know, I think I told you guys this last year after Steph got the job at Memphis. You know, uh, change is hard, change is good. And, and, you know, Lance came aboard, didn't miss a beat. And now Caleb Rowe gets to step into some big shoes and, you know, tradition never graduates. And she was coached under Allie. And, you know, a lot of people probably don't know that, yes, she was on ESPN and SEC network and she worked for the Seattle Mariners and actually had a marketing PR job in the Portland area. But she also gave tons of lessons uh, to lots of young ladies in the Pacific Northwest. So she, she had not stepped away from softball. She was still in the game and, obviously watching more games than me probably because she had a game every weekend. So um, just really, really pleased that that worked out. You know, we're really happy that David and her daughter, uh, Dylan, their daughter, Dylan is with us. And you guys, I I think you've probably been around her a little bit, but she is now the queen of the clubhouse, Dylan, not bro. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty, And she knows everybody's name and um, it just, And in a weird way, it's kind of uh, energized me. And, you know, we picked up Adam Arbor as our uh, third assistant coach. And we had a long talk over the summer. And I said, hey, I'm just going to – I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader for every hitter, but you're going to be, you know, the coach for the offense. And he's doing a great job with that. And obviously, bro's helping. And uh, Ryan I. Murray went from volunteer to director of player development. And with her background and her skills, that's a perfect spot for her. She's doing a lot of stuff off the field with NIL stuff and just has really done a good job with all of it. So, you know, we were really, really sad and and also happy for Allie. But, um, you know, again, change is good. And um, so far, I'm just really, really happy with everybody
1: it was certainly a little jarring the first time it came to a scrimmage or a practice and Allie's not there, but uh, seeing bro, it was, it was like, she just fit right in there. Obviously she's been there uh, part of BAMU so long. We heard, we had her on the podcast a little while ago and heard the story from Kayla's point of view. Would love to hear from your point of view. What was the process? What, what made you decide on Kayla Brogues? I know I'm sure there were plenty of, uh possibilities that you could have
2: gone with oh you're right you know and i heard from a lot of really really good people and the the fit you know when i recruit and i think i've told you guys this before but the number one thing that i have in my mind is it has to be a good fit for both sides for both parties it can't Mm -hmm. be just a fit for me and it can't be a fit just for the young lady and her family both sides need to fit and, you know, obviously every head coach or they should have a list in their head or written down somewhere. If Tom leaves, who do I have to replace Tom? Or who's on my list? If Gray leaves, who can I get to replace Gray? And for every spot in our program, I have 10 names, you know, ready to go that I think could be good possibilities. Same way when, when Steph left last year. And, um, you know, although bro, had not coached in college. To me, I'm number one on person first. And if you're a great person, you fit the culture, you understand the culture, you went through the culture, you played here, you were one of the best players ever here. She had 506 as a freshman, for God's sake. You know, when I thought she was going to be a pinch hitter and a pinch runner, that's how, that's how off I was with her. And you know the other thing that a lot of people don't realize, she was one of the most competitive kids we've ever had. Even though she didn't really outwardly show it, her motor was going a hundred miles per hour, and just that part of her, I think we really needed a little oop. And um, I think the girls really love her, you know. And you know she's, I don't, thirty-two, you know, fairly young. And um, we needed a little jolt, and she's given it to us.
0: And it's been interesting listening to her talk in the team circles because every time I hear her speak to the players, I feel like I'm getting parts of Steph and parts of Allie as well. It's almost like a congealment of coaching styles, too. It's really interesting.
2: That's probably right on the money. (laughs) Now that you say it, I'm starting to hear both of them, too. Um, Yeah, it's – You know, she's got a really good perspective. I think, you know, being in the media world and ESPN and, you know, that's big time sports, right? And she's dealt with bosses and coworkers and she's got a lot of life lessons in her, even though she's young. And I think a lot of that comes out in her coaching. And I think it's just going to be a great situation for us. Um, I mean, I'm really, really happy so far.
0: When you mentioned Adam as well, Adam Arbor coming in as an assistant coach full-time now, really focusing on the hitting, what changes have you seen in the fall from the offensive perspective that Adam has created?
2: I think, you know, to be honest, you know, we had our player interviews or uh, exit interviews after the year last year. And uh, one of the ladies said, I need just one person. I need one voice. And she was totally correct. And it was all my fault. And, um, you know, that, that was the biggest thing, um, way too many messages and, you know, and then on top of a lot of them have their own hitting coach, you know, a lot of times dad was their hitting coach, you know, and there's a lot of voices there and just, and he's, he's very calming. You know, he's positive. He's patient. Um, So it's a good fit that way because, you know, I think a hitting coach is really, really open to all possibilities because we're not a cookie cutter school. You can look at the pitchers, you can look at the hitters, and you can look at the shapes of everybody on the team. You know, we've got six, two, and we've got five, two, we're not a cookie cutter approach in anything that we do because I think you, every kid brings her gifts to the table and then we as a coaching staff need to work with those gifts and i think he does that really really well.
1: We can talk a little bit about the roster and we last time we talked to you we'd already known about Caleb Beaver and Kendall Clark coming in but at three more uh, transfers were added in Riley Valentine, Kinley Pate and Ailey Johnson um and they all of them really had during fall ball i thought had some really good moments uh, how have the transfers acclimated to Alabama so far well you know I was on a
2: another podcast the other day and he kind of asked the same question without you know name and names just how is it with the transfer portal and one of the kind of positive byproducts of that is you know like a young lady like Kay- Kayla Bieber she's got one year she's in grad school and she's got one year to finish well how do I introduce the culture to her in one year how do I introduce her to BamaU, and it's forced us to be a lot more intentional, focused, uh, culture-driven from the very beginning. Because I don't want her to miss out on anything, so I have to shove all these things into, you know, our daily practices and the time that we have with her in one year. And I, I want her to leave a better person. Number one, I want her to be have the bigger picture in mind, and I want her to have a great career at Alabama. I want her to have the best experience possible playing softball of her life in one year. So it's made us really like, we have to go over this, we have to go over this, we have to go over this, and we've been doing it. Uh, She's been terrific. She's been like a sponge, Um, just great kid, great worker. Lance has been really impressed. Uh, Riley Valentine, great athlete, just a great athlete, very, very athletic. You know, brother plays uh, in the San Diego Padres organization as a shortstop middle infielder, very athletic. Um, You know, honestly, she's got one of the best arms as a catcher, but she could play third, short, or second. I really believe that. And she took ground balls one day late in the fall, and I was like, holy buckets. So (laughs) she was out there a couple more times, um, but just great athlete. She's got a lot of pop. You know, we probably practiced you know, let's say 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever. And she was probably the best hitter for three full weeks on the team. So um, we're looking for good things from her. Kenley Pate came over from Sanford. Just speed, green light girl, another lefty, uh, throws right, hits left, short game. Uh, Situational hitting will be really, really good for her. Uh, Slap and run, button run. I need a drag. I need somebody to get on base to start an inning. Uh, And she did really well this fall. And then I think, you know, Ailey Johnson, uh, the pitcher from LSU that transferred um, again, it's like a, uh, an opportunity to start again, you know? And like I said before, change is good. And uh, Lance has been really, really pleased with her. Uh, She's very, very even keeled. All the pitchers are, uh, you know, Jayla Torrance has got one of the best poker faces in the, in the game of softball. But a lot of them really follow her and Montana, you know, that that same even keeled, not too high, not too low, you know. And if you do that, you're probably going to get run over by the next hitter. But they've been really, really fun to watch. And the biggest thing for me is the differences in in all of them are just, there's six pitchers, but there's six way different looks.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the pitching staff because I feel like from the outside perspective, that is the biggest question, right? You know, life after Montana Fouts, what does that look like for the Alabama Crimson Tide? You've got six different options. We obviously saw Jayla really burst onto the scene in the NCAA tournament. That was definitely, in my opinion, the story of the regional round. But how are you and Lance McMahon going to navigate this staff where you're going to have to eat up a lot of innings that Montana had last year?
2: Well, you know, with six... That's six different looks that you have to prepare for. But if you only pitch two, you only have to prepare for two looks. So it's it's going to be almost like, you know, when football played South Florida and the other two quarterbacks played to see what they look like, you know. And I have to allow a kid an opportunity to see what she can do to see if she can do it, you know. I'll never know if she doesn't get out there. So they're all gonna get opportunities. And the the biggest thing for me is if they can maintain a Mudita staff, which you guys all know, and everybody's probably yeah. listening to me forever on this, but if you can have vicarious joy in someone else's success and get rid of envy and jealousy, because with six, that that could come about, right? So, so far, so good. I think they're, they're um, each other's biggest fans. And uh, you could see the old uh, WWE tag team pitching staff. You know, uh, Gray gets three, Tom gets two, and I get the last two. And we tag team it. And you see that a lot in college softball nowadays in a lot of different schools. It's It's kind of the way the game is going and bigger pitching staffs and a different look one time through the order. Then hand it off to the next kid and just pass the baton down the line. So – um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. And the combinations are going to be cool. We tried to do that in the fall. We played eight games in the fall and we tried to mix and match to make sure that everybody got with somebody else just to see like, okay, was Beaver better with Ailey or was Ailey better with Jayler, you know, just to see. And um, it's going to be uh, fun to kind of figure it out.
1: They look at some of the uh, positions, uh, the outfield, seems like it might be the most set that it's been at this at this part uh of the year that we've had in several years with the uh, the three with Larissa Pruitt, Kristen white Jenna Johnson uh and then but obviously there are several other people that will be in the mix there uh what kind of but with those three specifically what do they need to do to take the next step forward to be even a, a better unit
2: I think the number one thing you know kind of going back to Adam and the hitting We all agreed that um, our strike zone um, was not good last year. Our um, pitch selection was just not really what it's been. So that's been one of the main focuses. And if anybody that plays um, their pitch selection needs to be better and that goes for them. So, you know, our walk to strikeout ratio was not good at all last year. And that's something that I really pride ourselves on and, it's usually a positive, more walks than strikeouts, and last year it was not close. Um, so we got to put the bat in, or the ball in play, um, stay within ourselves, stay in the strike zone, and uh, you know, there was a couple games where we faced, you know, maybe a rise ball pitcher, and you guys called the game. You guys got to see it, and you know, fifteen outs were straight up in the air, and we just got to make adjustments quicker. So and whoever is the leadoff, her on base needs to be 500 plus, um, without a doubt. And you know there's a lot of ca- there's a lot of candidates for that, and it could be the three that you just mentioned in the outfield as well. You know, and then that and Kenley Cahalan and so, um, stay in the strike zone, you know, and hit strikes. Period. Easier said than done. But um, if we can do that, I think we got a better better chance to be a good offensive team because you know, in, in Italy, Bailey Dowling was terrific. Jenna Johnson hit her farthest home run she's ever hit. I wish you guys could have seen it. <laughs> Left field, you know, and it's 220 all the way around in international play. So it was probably at least 250 over the fence. Kinley Cahalen was unbelievable in Italy. Everything was a, a line drive, a double or a triple. I don't think she hit a home run, but everything was in a gap. Uh, she just was really, really, really um, good over there. So, and you know, Kendall Clark, you know, um, in the fall ball game, four for four, two home runs, and you know, there's a, and she's got the best bas- bat speed of anybody on the team right now, and it is it's impressive to watch. So there's going to be some competitions, and. You know, there's 22 on the roster with six pitchers. Two pitchers right now are hitting, so Lauren Esman and Jocelyn Brisky have both. You know, we've talked about them also hitting. So um, there's going to be a lot of options
1: with uh, with the pitch selection. Uh, something Gray and I talk about a lot, especially when you have those games sometimes where we get a get a strike zone that's a little bit smaller than we're wanting to see is. The you have to play the game when that's when that's the strike zone and not get frustrated um is that something that is is a conscious uh kind of coaching point at this point
2: Yeah I mean it's just you have to you know instead of really looking for or what you want to hit you need to look for what you're going to get that's the biggest difference because you know if you're if you're a returnee so Kristen White's a sophomore, Larissa at Kenley Marley People have got film on you now. So they're going to have a plan of how they're going to attack you. And instead of saying, oh, my favorite pitch is whatever, you need to turn it around and say, I'm probably going to get this. So I'm I'm going to look for that. Because, you know, the scouting report says X, Y, Z. And um, too many times they always look for what they want to hit, not what they're going to get. And it's it's just kind of a, you got to turn that around in your head a little bit, uh, sophomore, junior, senior year especially, because Bailey Hempel never got the pitch that she wanted. You know, there's no way, unless it was a big, big mistake.
1: She, unless she wanted one in the other batter's box, which she got, and she had home runs off those too sometimes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, our apologies to Tennessee. Let's go to Kimley Kahalen, who you've mentioned a couple times. Uh, it, it's amazing that I feel like I've known Kenley for five years, and she's still only 18. I mean, it feels like she's been a part of this program forever, and yet we've only seen her for one season, and there were moments of brilliance last year, to be clear. There were also certainly some moments where you were like, oh, right, you know, she should probably still be in high school. But but what have you seen from Kenley, not just in the Italy trip, but in the individual workouts in fall ball, that looks different from the Kenley that we saw last year?
2: Everything. You know, she... The other day that did uh, squat max and she hit 320, which was, I think, number one on the team. Um, Just a remarkable athlete. She's very, very, very serious about her craft, Um, you know, defensively, offensively, the whole thing. She just uh, is a pleasure to coach. And like I said about Italy, I mean, you know, we got done at the World Series and then 30 days later we're practicing for Italy. And I really thought it was, you know, Because, you know, I wanted to take time off. I'm not a a believer of 12 12 months out of the year. You got to rest a little bit and recharge. And she just tore it up in Italy. And um, all of us were just like, wow, what a different kid. And it was only 30 days. And then you add in the fall. And, you know, she didn't have a fall last year. She she didn't have any of this. And uh, at times I forgot that, you know. Like, she never had any of the things we did in the fall, which is a lot of defensive team, defensive things. So it was a lot of learning on the fly. And it's a tough position for a, uh, like you said, a senior in high school, batting leadoff and playing shortstop and at Alabama. So welcome to the show, right? She handled it with grace, class, the whole thing. Um, I think she's going to have a great year. Uh, Still one of the best hitters on the team and still young. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she does this year.
1: You mentioned Bailey Dowling, what she did uh, in Italy, and we saw her in fall play a lot of third base. Um, is that going to be something that we're going to see moving forward? And because we got, she's definitely going to be the bat that you want her to be in the lineup. So you got to find a place to play her out in the field.
2: Yeah. And again, in Italy, her and Kenley uh, just tore it up. And, you know, Bailey was probably the best hitter consistently throughout the whole fall on a consistent basis. Uh, Just was terrific. Line dries everywhere, home runs every now and then. Barrel on the ball all day long. Just very consistent. And, you know, to be the three-hole hitter at Alabama, you have to be confident, you have to be consistent, and you have to be competitive. And she's three for three. So I'm hoping that, you know, just all season long, it's just the same old Bailey, barrel on the ball. Um, and if it falls, it falls, but I'm going to hit the you-know-what out of it. Um, and then she, you know, third base, she can still play second base, she still play shortstop, um, but her bat definitely needs to be in the lineup.
0: And there are certainly other people that that we've seen flashes from either last year or in the fall. You've got a bit of a catcher battle between Marley Giles and Riley Valentine. Emma Broadfoot continues to absolutely rip the cover off the ball in the fall. Callie Hevlin has looked so improved each and every year of her career. Abby Dukeshire was phenomenal in the fall. That's five people that I just named that can't all be on the field at the same time mathematically. So did the fall bring any clarity whatsoever in how that might shake out, or is it still a mix and match once a season starts type of situation?
2: Clear as mud. <laughs> <laughs> and all those things that you said, we talked about as a coaching staff, you know, the only award that we do all year for the last 26 years is most improved player of the fall. That's it. And everybody votes team uh, players, staff, athletic trainer, strength coach, our academic lady got a vote and our nutrition Brianna got a vote and what they see in their areas, who was most improved from August 23rd, I think school started to November, whatever day it was, a week ago. And it's remarkable, and I'll tell you guys, 11 people got votes. So 11 out of 22, half the team was where somebody considered them most improved, which is crazy. And I think above any any and all things that we've talked about, this group has embraced that uh, the best is yet to come mantra. I'm gonna keep getting better and better and better. I'm not where I'm gonna be today where I'm going to be in May, you know, the best is yet to come over and over and over. And they're not afraid to work. They're not afraid of failure. And it is, it showed with 11 people getting votes, which was crazy. Abby Dukesher was uh, voted most improved. Marley Giles was right behind her and it was close. Um, But like I said, 11 people got votes. Uh, And you mentioned Emma, Emma has so much better. You know, she's got a year of power five under her. She's got a year of us under her. And I think she's going to hit the ball really, really well. So there's a lot of options. Abby was much better. She's a lot stronger. I don't know if you've noticed that, but she holds her body positions much better because of her strength now. And that's a key. Just, it's, it's just going to be fun to see. And hopefully, you know, um, they're going to have a, um, they're just going to pass the baton about who's going to be the hitter of the game. You know, it's not going to be one person. It's not going to be the leadoff. It's not going to be the three hole. Every single game is going to be one through nine. And you guys are going to keep saying, man, there's a different hero every game. That's what I'd love to have you guys say game after game, after game, you know, man at last night, it was Abby tonight. it's Riley, you know, and then tomorrow Mm -hmm. it's going to be or whoever. So I think there's going to be more consistency across the board. And there's a lot of options pitching staff and players, you know, it seems kind of weird when there's six pitchers. So 16 position players, um, but there's still a lot of depth in those position players.
1: And an additional uh, player for depth wise uh, that wasn't available last year due to injury, but had a great uh, moment in fall this year was KJ Haney, getting the uh, base hit RBI. And uh, hopefully she'll have a great opportunity uh, to at least come off the bench, if not do other things for you here this year. Um, what have you seen from KJ Haney? So I'll tell you a quick story.
2: Two days before that fall ball uh, doubleheader, we watched a video from a, a TED Talk that's one of my all-time favorites, and it's called 100 Days of Rejection. And this, this young man had a traumatic uh, episode as a six-year-old. And ever since he was six years old, he was afraid of rejection. So he was now thirty. He's an adult, and he's like, I gotta kick this. I gotta get better. So he planned this, one hundred days of rejection journey, and he, every day he tried to do something so out of the ordinary that he got rejected, so he can, you know, feel okay about it. So the first day, he that it's and he videotaped everything. It's all on YouTube and you can still watch it. And it's one of my favorite talks of all time. It was ask a stranger for a hundred dollars and he was at work and there was a security guard at the, at the desk and he's like, okay, I'm going to ask that guy. And he goes down and just says, Hey, can I borrow a hundred dollars? And before the security guard even says anything, the guy on the Ted talk sprints away and he's still afraid of rejection. The security guard said, what? Didn't say no, didn't say yes, but he just said what? And the guy runs away. So we watched this video, I think on a Thursday, we play Friday and in the middle of the first game, I hear KJ Haney in the dugout saying, Hey Murph, I've got a hundred opportunities. I'm going to ask right now, can I hit tonight? And I <laughs> no. And she goes, there's one, there's one. And then, <laughs> like an inning later, Hey Murph, can I hit tonight? No there's two. And then she asked for a third time and I was like, get a helmet. And she got the base hit that you're talking about. Well, she was, we played, she had three opportunities and she was three for three. And you know, that first, first hit. And I don't know if you guys were there, but it was like, we had won the world series. And for somebody that, you know, has been rehabbing for 12 months, basically her and the training staff, and half the time she's in the training room, not at practice because she she couldn't do anything. Achilles is really, really bad uh, injury, and then the recovery is difficult. So you're right. I hope she can help us. Um, she has been hitting very, very well. Um, she hit one on the equipment shed uh, one day off of me. And um, there's I'm pretty sure there was eight girls all time. In the history of the program that have done that and she became the ninth. So it was impressive. Um, And she's been more consistent. She's moving better. Uh, I think Adam has done a really good job with her. And I think she's in a really good positive frame of mind too, that she's going to, she's going to be determined to make this a good year.
0: Coach, before we move to some of the big picture stuff about the sport, I want to make sure we talk about the schedule as well. By the time this is released, it will have been out to the public for quite a while. But there's a lot to be excited about. Arizona is coming back to Tuscaloosa. That's been a fun rivalry for many years. Uh, Another road trip to Florida State, which uh, was interesting to say the least in 2020. Uh, Hopefully things go differently this time. But what what should be uh, exciting about the schedule this year?
2: Well, number, you know, like you said, Caitlin Lowe is one of my all-time favorite people in softball. So she's coming, uh, her Arizona team's coming. We're going to go to them in 25. That's already done. So a home and home, which I really appreciate that uh, Arizona allows that. And my boss allows me to do that. The Florida State midweek, uh, Wednesday night again, which will be fun. I'm assuming that would be on TV, but you never know. Uh, that is going to be one hell of a week for us because we we play Florida at home. On Saturday, Sunday, Monday night softball on SEC Network, travel to Florida State, play them on a Wednesday night and travel up to Athens to play Georgia Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And when we were doing the schedule, Ryan, I and Murray was like, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, hey, let's go for it. So that's going to be six, seven games, probably top 15, top 12, you know, opponents um, South Alabama's coming for our tournament. I think she's going to have a really good year. I think they were the highest RPI that did not get in the tournament last year. So she's trying to help herself with that. Uh, Northern Iowa is coming in for the same tournament. So I think – I honestly think that all three of those teams will be in the NCAA tournament. Virginia Tech again. Pete's coming down with his team for a Friday-Saturday series. Uh, that's our open weekend at SEC. And uh, I saw his assistant coach this weekend recruiting, and I promised him that I, we will go up to um, Virginia Tech soon. I don't know when, but soon to, uh, you know, pay back their trips to Tuscaloosa. I've never been up there, and i really like to see that. So, uh, And then obviously, you know, you got eight series against really good SEC schools, and I think we have a, a tough SEC uh, road this year. We didn't get any favors for that, but it's all computerized. So it's luck of the draw.
1: And, and uh, a full week and a half at Auburn at the end of the year, too. So that's, that's going to be fun.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, Mickey, we were supposed to play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, obviously, and then the SEC tournament starts Tuesday. And I had said, you know, that's a tough turnaround for your, your grounds crew, number one, the SEC that redoes the entire facility, rewraps every pad, um, ESPN comes in and takes over the whole park. So we're going to play them uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then come home to Tuscaloosa, do laundry, and then go back to um, Auburn for the SEC tournament. So if we had probably had to fly somewhere, we probably wouldn't have come home. But since, you know, two and a half, three hours, we decided to come back
0: works for us we'll just you know hang out it'll be fine i mean it's it's probably some of the easiest sec tournament traveling that we have had in a few years so that's nice coach it was a rules change here a lot has shifted we've seen the pitching rule change we've seen obstruction clarified they've added stuff to replay review the pitch clock is something really popular with the coaches based on our conversations was there anything in particular that you really liked that you saw adjusted this offseason
2: um I don't know if it's you know we used um electronic signaling to the pitcher and catcher I don't know if you guys noticed that with lamps and the the pitchers and the catchers and uh that's just a change but it was so much better Quicker, faster, the whole thing. The umpires loved it. Um, I'm in favor of the pitch clock. I'm also in favor of keeping one foot in the box if you don't swing the bat. We haven't gone that far, but I we practiced it this fall. Uh, international play, it is the case where if you take a ball, you don't swing the bat, you don't fall it off, whatever. Your back foot has to stay in the box. Instead of walking 20 feet away and going back in, and it's just, to me, it's just a waste of time. So we practice that. I hope that comes about. But the pitch clock to me, you know, uh, when fans uh, hear this and then watch us play, there will be a 22nd clock on either side of the batter behind home plate on the fence and then uh, scoreboard or another 22nd clock attached to our camera um, deck out in center field. So home plate umpire catcher can see that the entire field. And look at the one behind home plate and there hadn't you know you guys know how many rules or uh, speed up changes there were for baseball this year everything was positive i mean it was amazing they i think they cut down a half hour of wasted time so uh and you know we had a gentleman from espn talk to us at our head coaches meeting and i don't know if anybody's talked about it but um the way he explained it is really made the most sense of uh if they have a six-hour window they want three softball games if one game goes 215 and the other one goes two and a half the other one you know basically everybody says why are we putting three on when we should only be two so over a course of a season you're going to lose 60 games because of the time and you know baseball has a six-hour window they only show two games We have an opportunity to showcase two more teams over a six-hour period. We want to do that. And um, so there's a lot of things that go into it, but I think it's both of those in the step step in the right direction. Um, I would be even more in favor of keeping one foot in the box and keeping the game going.
1: And we've talked a a lot uh, in the past couple of years about the uh, realignment that's happening for the SEC – uh, but this year, obviously, the major realignment help ha- happened elsewhere, including the Pac-12 pretty much going to be going away after this year, uh, after it being the premier softball conference for so long. Uh, and all that is done with football and, in a lesser extent, men's basketball in mind. But all the other sports are obviously affected by it. Uh, what do you see is going to be the effects in sports like softball moving forward with all the all the realignment that's happening? Well, I was
2: really proud of uh, the Missouri football coach, Eli Drinkwitz. You know, he was one of the very few that I watched his press conferences. And, you know, basically I would have said the same thing. He's like, did anybody ask the softball young ladies and their parents? Did anybody ask the tennis, the golf, the soccer, the volleyball? The answer is no. You know, and to me, it's, it's a uh, very short-sighted uh, decision. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if five years down the road, it goes back to what it used to be, seriously. They're going to realize what a big mistake they made. Um, and also to me, Stanford and Cal, two really, really, really high academic institutions, just threw that out the window when they joined the ACC. You know, they're not thinking about any student athlete. I don't care if it's football or basketball. They're not thinking about them either. And the, the parents as well. You know, think of the travel that they're going to have to make. if They're from California, and they, they're playing um, – for UCLA, Washington, Oregon, whatever, you know, think of the travel those schools are going to have to make those parents, those kids Uh, it's, it's, it goes all over the board. And it's just not the schools. It's the families involved as well. Uh, It's, it's unfortunate. And, you know, I, I read a lot of the, uh, the old time PAC 12 people and, you know, obviously they were upset. It's, it's the end of a, I mean, you know, the conference of champions, right? It's just very, very unfortunate. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. You just have to deal with it, I guess. And I'm really glad I'm in the SEC, to be honest with you. You know, our our footprint, Texas A&M, Texas, you know, Missouri, Oklahoma, it's it's no different. You know, Oklahoma's closer than Missouri. Austin's only, you know, 30 minutes farther than College Station, so it's not that big of a deal for us. Uh, but it is, it is a big deal for a lot of other schools.
0: Yeah, the I'm glad we're in the SEC mantra has kind of been really the closing thought of all the coaches that we've talked to. And I think it's interesting to pivot that way towards another discussion that's been happening a little bit behind the scenes, and that's bringing back the neutral site SEC softball tournament. That is something that has been bantied about a little bit in recent times. We've heard pretty much opinions all over the map in our various conversations, but where do you stand? Would you be in favor of going to a neutral site tournament or do you want to keep it the way it is?
2: I would be in favor of it. I think we're losing out on opportunities for the young ladies that play SEC softball. Uh, I think there's people out there that really, really want to put on a good show for us and all the benefits that come with that. Uh, You know, and I've said this before to you, if I had a young man that played baseball, I want him to have the best possible experience playing in a conference championship right? And if I had a daughter, I'd want her to have the same opportunity that the young man did. And I don't think that's happening right now. I think Hoover is a great opportunity. It's like a mini Omaha and ours isn't like that. And I think if you give somebody an opportunity to say, this is what we want, you know, we need this, this, and this. And if they say no, we go to the next, the next entity. We go to the next person. Um, and obviously, I've enjoyed playing on campus because the two times we've hosted we we won the last two. Uh, and it's a great atmosphere, but I think you have to give it some time. You have to look at the bigger picture of the for the sport and think of what the sport could do at a neutral site and get a community to buy in and just let's go to town with it and see what happens. And if it's a if it's a flop, then go back to campus. But I just I feel like if we don't give it an opportunity, we'll never know what
1: might happen. And similar to discussions that we have with the World Series in Oklahoma City is, well, the reason it's in Oklahoma City is because that's where the facility is. There are no other facilities in the country uh, like what they have in OKC. Uh, so you'd obviously need to have a facility somewhere that could handle a term of that size. And seeing what we've seen here recently with women's sports in particular uh the huge crowd that they had you know Nebraska volleyball having the football stadium sold out Iowa women's basketball uh it's sold out every year at, at uh the at Oklahoma City like we talked about they add upper decks and they still sell it out uh with that in mind does that maybe put some thoughts into some of these decision makers that when we're talking about women's softball facility or softball facilities in general and women's sports that we can go bigger and better because there is a fan base out there for it? Oh, definitely. And I wish there was somebody that maybe
2: listens to this that has a few extra million hanging around and builds a softball only facility, you know? Um, And I think people would go to it most definitely. They'd be able to host events every weekend. um, And especially if it's big enough for a college environment you know, think of the tournaments they could, they could bring in there. And it's not only the SEC, it would be others, you know, Sunbelt, you know, there's a lot of uh, softball playing schools in the South and then the Southeast that would probably take advantage of it. So, you know, there's, there's so more, there's so many more possibilities for the game, but I keep saying we need to look at the bigger picture and not what's most important for me, not what's most important for Alabama, but what's most important for the game of softball not an own own individual need or want that's short-sighted look for the bigger picture and what does the sport deserve and that's how i would approach it
0: just saying if i do ever hit the mega millions i'm in on helping to build the facility but i have yet to win the lottery but hopefully one day
2: robertson field (laughs)
0: We'll finally have a Tom Canterbury Press Pavilion. I'll name it after you, partner. It'll be great. (laughs) 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 Coach, before we let you go, it's the fun questions, the lighthearted stuff at the tail end of these interviews that we like to do every year. And I want to start with a SEC pitcher draft that Tom and I will be doing on the show. From 1997 to the present day, every pitcher is available. Tom and I will be compiling some staffs. With a couple of guests, TBD, and this episode, by the way, will eventually come out to the people listening who've heard me ask this question to 12 different coaches. But Coach Murphy, if I asked you which coach or which pitchers outside of the Alabama uh, outside of the Alabama window, and we know there are plenty available there, who would you have up at the top of the draft board? Maybe besides Monica Abbott, I know that would be the number one pick.
2: Okay, I'm going to say Brittany Sneed. LSU, she was so difficult to hit, and she got better and better as her career went along. You know, freshman, she was okay. Sophomore, I was like, ooh, she's getting better. Junior year, wow, it was impressive. A great young lady to boot. She's coaching at Baylor. She's the pitching coach. She's been there forever. But um, I'd probably start with her.
1: When uh, when you're facing a pitcher of that level or any, any pitcher, what – what is it that's the toughest to prepare for or hit off of? Is it somebody just has overwhelming power, or somebody can change speeds? What 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 is the one thing that is the most frustrating to hit against?
2: Well, usually if it's, if they have one just hellacious pitch, and it's almost like a Mariano Rivera—you know it's coming, but you can't hit it. You know, sitting mm-hmm. sitting Little John's curveball. You know, Monica Abbott's fastball gas, you know, throwing it right by you. Um, But there has to be a pitch that just like, Oh my God, I hope she doesn't throw that like Delaney Gurley from Florida lefty change up was incredible. Um, That's the biggest worry to me. If it's
1: like, Oh God, she's got a great. And then you fill in the blank. I know that was one thing too, with like with Montana, knowing people knew that you were going to get her at least twice a weekend. And so many times she was better the second time than she was the first time.
2: Yeah, and she'd usually win Sunday. Especially if she lost on Friday, she was going to win on Sunday. So for her, it was her mentality, her grit, her resiliency. And, um, I mean, seriously, she probably – she had the best resiliency of anybody we've had as a pitcher.
1: Well, Coach, you know, I'm going to ask a food question. Uh, we were we were talking uh, a few months ago when the Masters was was on – about the master's dinner and how the champion gets to pick the the menu for the dinner the next year. Uh, if you Patrick Murphy were the master's champion, and you got to pick a menu, uh, for the master's dinner, what would it be?
2: Pepperoni, mushroom, pizza, thin crust, uh, onion rings and blackberry cobbler. Wow
0: who's making the pizza? Is it, is it, do you have a special place in mind?
2: Uh, There's a little place in Fayetteville uh, in the Hampton Inn parking lot. And whenever we stay at that Hampton Inn, I go to this little pizza place like three times and it's a mom and pop. Um, You guys have probably gone with me. There's a buffet for lunch and um, never been disappointed. It's like Razorback pizza. Maybe it's as simple as that, you know, Just this little Mm -hmm. hole in the wall. Nice people, you know. So it'd probably be that place. As uh,
0: as we mentioned in our conversation with Courtney Diefel, we are going to Fayetteville this year. So it sounds like that's another place we're going to eat at this season.
2: Well, make sure that they hear this, so maybe it's on the house.
0: (laughs) At Razorback Pizza, please.
3: (laughs) Yes, I hope
2: that's it. (laughs) <laughs> I, my apologies to the, the Fayetteville pizza place if it's not correct but <laughs> I'm sure people up there know what I'm talking about it's in a little shopping area it's on the front side of the Hampton
1: Inn and it it's it's legit I I do have a, a a memory of going to that pizza place I I don't remember the name of it either but I I know what you're talking about okay Nathan was probably with us
0: well, we'll make sure that the list is updated and properly vetted for that trip because it's getting quite long for Fayetteville. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. We, we could be there for a week and not hit all the restaurants we need to. Uh, Patrick Murphy, thank you so much for joining us here for Softball Media Days. You are the best, and we cannot wait to go down this road with a, another season with Bama U and with you this year.
2: Hey, Team 28 is ready to go. I'm very, very excited. It's going to be an exciting year. Uh, I think it's just going to be, you know, flip a coin across the board. And we've always said this, but parity is alive and well in the sport of softball, especially in the SEC. And it's just going to be exciting for the fans. Um, I don't know if the coaches are going to be that excited, but fans, media, it's going to be a great year.
0: Awesome. Well, we can't wait. Thank you so much for joining us, Coach.
2: All right. Thanks a lot, you guys.
0: So there is Patrick Murphy. A lot to parse through. From that, first off, and we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more during the fall ball special, I bet. But the admittance maybe isn't the right word, but but I, I think the honesty talking about the hitting coach situation, about how there were so many voices that it was probably pretty confusing and was pretty confusing confusing for the players. Now there's one voice. With maybe, you know, a couple people working on individual skills, but hitting technique, one person is leading the charge, and that's Adam
1: Arbor. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about it, we've heard people complain so oh. much about there not being someone listed as a hitting coach for Alabama. And I think a lot of what happened here in the offseason is just clarifications. I think it's just it is giving titles, it is streamlining it is this is you're doing this you're doing this and you're doing this yeah whereas i think in the past it may have been more of well everybody does that that's <laughs> and yeah i mean i think anyone could have gone up to allison habits and gotten uh really good coaching or anyone can gone up straight to Patrick murphy or anybody else that was on the staff shoot a few years ago if you needed something to do with hitting, you could have gone to Stephanie Van Branko Pro Prothrow, right. and she would have given given you some good advice. Yeah, but that now we're iter- we know exactly where to go all the time for that type of thing. So I think that I think it was more than anything. It wasn't that things were lacking. I think it was just maybe just a clarification and uh, trying to clear up any confusion.
0: Yeah, and again, I think it's important. Like this doesn't mean that Caleb Bro is never helping any of the outfielders right. with hitting
1: you don't bring in somebody who was an over 500 hitter and say don't tell anybody about hitting no I don't think that's going to be the case the clarification
0: is the overall mission but if you need a you know some technique yeah then they're if, like it, if you're a
1: slapper I would recommend discussing it with Caleb yeah
0: Ryan great as well like yeah, you've got yeah. You've got people who have expertise in these areas. Right. And that, that I think, will help the well-roundedness. But like you said, the clarification is what will help the overall juice, I guess, of the offense. Yeah, for sure. Maybe go for 40. Who's to say? (laughs) Here's the problem. The SEC schedule is brutal. My gosh. Shall I read it? I guess. Florida, at Georgia, at Kentucky, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, at Arkansas, Tennessee, at Auburn. Mm -hmm. So, first off, just, uh, it sucks that you start Florida at Georgia. It just does. And and the question marks that we have about Florida, we have to look at the history. Typically, Florida has had success in Tuscaloosa. Alabama has returned the favor in Gainesville and at neutral sites. But for whatever reason, the Gators have been better in Tuscaloosa than Alabama has. And then the good of the Georgia team that – Odds are we'll be in our top fives at the end of this episode. That's just a really tough start. Plus, oh, by the way, you go to Kentucky where every weird thing possible
1: happens every night. I, I still think, so when we go to Kentucky, one of the games, it's going to be 85 degrees. The other one is going to be like 40. It's going like, they're going to have weird weather. Uh, the wind's going to be just blowing out. It's gonna It's going to be crazy. Uh, somehow both blowing in it, and, and at, out at the same time uh <laughs> it's actually i really like the stadium it's one of our favorite my favorite setups but oh my other, but my God. love it yes as long as we're allowed back in because we went last time we had to go it was <laughs> it was the COVID year and my gosh we were outside with the wind blowing well don't forget also getting locked in the stadium <laughs> Got locked i the almost stadium. hopped a fence right so and i was like this is a bad idea let's go <laughs> find shoals yes uh so yeah so there's all that going on but starting off with Florida and Georgia, if you, I think if you're, if you get out of that first two series and you're four and two, Mm. I think Alabama's in great shape. Yeah. Even if you're three and three, I think you're okay. But, and like I talked about last episode with Georgia, I kind of like that that Alabama-Georgia series is so early because I don't think it's going to knock either team out to start off with. Uh, but it can give it can give you a good barometer where you need to be and then of course
0: the ending at arkansas tennessee at auburn so you're there for auburn senior day for Matty penta the senior weekend tennessee is tennessee we've talked about them at arkansas a tough place to play alabama has won there very recently including the sec tournament but by then we'll have a much better idea of what arkansas is pitching wise and so i kind of think that that's as bad a time as possible to have Arkansas on the schedule. It's just it's just a tough draw. Every year it's different because of the rotation. Somebody is going to have the tough draw. And this year it's Alabama. But
1: that doesn't necessarily that doesn't mean you can't have success. That's right. I mean Alabama had the same draw and came in second right. in 2021. You I know one thing, Alabama will be battle tested. Uh, yes. You look at the non-conference schedule for Alabama, not as many marquee matchups as we had last year or in a couple of years prior and i have a thought about that by the way but keep going there but there are some some good games They're, you know alabama's not going to just breeze through the non-conference schedule but any you know maybe lack of strength of schedule or lack of rpi that you're going to get in the non-conference will certainly be made up for with what you'd play in conference
0: absolutely indeed a thousand percent check yes amen right i will also add i saw a lot of conspiracy theorists about the non-conference of schedule. i know people are like this is an indication i promise you it's not i can't explain why the schedule is the way it is and why alabama's not flying here and flying there and going to every preseason tournament in the world different circumstances each year this year alabama had to you
1: know kind of hang around home a little bit more i've heard people also say things to the effect of why aren't you bringing more marquee people in for your non-converse tournaments people have to say yes Yeah to coming to those tournaments. We can't just call people and say, hey, by the way, you're coming to the Bama Bash. We've had that conversation with Patrick <laughs> Murphy as well. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there has, you know, the scheduling aspect in non-conference is a real interesting one uh, that uh, is probably deserves a podcast all to itself. Yeah, I mean, this isn't football. You can't right. just do whatever you want.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah. there are things that sometimes pop up to make that more difficult. Right. And we're not going to shout out names, even though we know certain teams who have
1: flat out refused to yeah, leave their
0: state. Who've ducked, yes. who've, who've agreed to a tournament and then said, actually, nah. Yeah.
1: yeah. But that's another time. That's a whole other thing. That'll
0: go in the book. <laughs> we'll call it out
1: of the book. <laughs> Subtitle, Bama, you all over them. <laughs> Forward by Rib Spencer. Epilogue by SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan. Of course. Somewhere he's laughing. Tom, have you ever had elk steak? I
0: have not. Okay. Well, we're going to find out a lot about that when we come back. On the other side, we'll start talking about the Auburn Tigers. That's where we close the season, in the regular portion, and then also start the postseason, Tom.
1: It is. Maybe we'll get some elk steak. Roughly 31 yards away. Perhaps. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back. Today for the Out of the Box podcast, Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. We're going down to the plains to chat with our friend Mickey Dean, who always is dropping knowledge on us. Although, I, I should mention the caveat. First off, I love the playful rivalry of it all whenever we talk to Coach Dean. This interview was recorded before the Iron Bowl. It was the week of the Iron
1: Bowl, as a matter of fact.
0: Yes, that is why there is no mention of it right one of us would have brought it up either coach dean in jest or us in a little bit meaner jest
1: but <laughs> it, it never came up it would have been, been a mention of 007 Gravedigger digger or something to that effect but it hadn't happened yet right so instead we'll
0: just start the audio with dean mickey dean the auburn head softball coach right here on day four of softball media days <sighs> I'm canterbury here tom you know we're gonna be in a certain city like a lot this year an extended time got on the plane. absolutely we've got a regular season series there we've got the conference tournament there it's auburn and we're pleased to be joined by the head softball coach for the auburn tigers mickey dean coach dean it's always great to chat with you how are you War eagle welcome <laughs> back to the. <that. laughs> yes, yes. <laughs>
4: Come on, man! You guys never say "War Eagle" back.
0: I look, expect, look as we record, especially this week. I'm not sure that would not be the time. Yeah, I'm not sure that that would go <laughs> over well.
4: It would go over well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I will say, with a with without a doubt in my mind, it, it's great to have you back on the show because we always love chatting with you. And and coach, I know last year you had. A really interesting season obviously you had a lot of a lot of success uh Maddie penta was phenomenal last year you had a tough draw in regionals but when you look back at last year what were your main thoughts about the 2023 season for the tigers
4: uh i thought we we did a lot of good things um and i thought our program um took a step forward for the regular season especially you know um and we were able to take care of business when we needed to, especially in conference. And um, so, so, you know, we, we were pleased with that. And we felt really good going into the conference tournament. Uh, and we felt really good going into postseason. Um, you know, um, it, it, as far as uh, the regionals, you know, unless you're sitting in that room, you really don't know what's discussed, and so you can, you can let all kinds of crazy stuff float around in your head, uh, but none of it really matters. And so, uh, but I was I was proud of our team, uh, and, and I I thought we uh, I thought we really uh, had an exceptional regular season.
1: And part of that was because, as Greg mentioned, Maddie Penta had such a tremendous year. She emerged as not just one of the best pitchers in the conference, one of the best pitchers in the country. Uh, what did she do last year that made her so great, and what are you looking for her to do here in this offseason moving toward uh, her final season in 2024?
4: You know, last year, um, one, once we got in the conference, her her focus was at such a high level. And so, you know, even when I would work with her in bullpens, uh, she had a very high level of focus. And, and uh, it just carried right over into the games. And, you know, she became more vocal uh, in games and with her teammates. She was a great leader when she wasn't in the circle, uh, as far as in the dugout. And really kept our team in the game, and uh, she just, you know, she did a great job. And, and you know, I hope, I hope with her maturity, uh, game wise, you know, the gamesmanship, uh, I, I, I our, our hope is that she will maintain that high level of focus in, you know, this season.
0: Well, behind Penta, you had Shelby Lowe and Annabelle Weidra, who were who had pretty similar stats overall last year, similar innings pitch numbers. ERA is about the same. But still, it was Maddie Penta kind of running the show, and then those two right behind. What have they done this offseason to try and raise their levels in 2024 to maybe further help out Maddie Penta uh, as a pitching staff?
4: Well, you know, for Shelby, it's just it was a matter of getting healthy and and being able to use her on a consistent basis. Uh, she was healthier last year, but we never got to where it was—it was consistent week after week. And I feel like we're there now. Uh, we we really took the fall, uh, the summer and the fall, and gave Maddie and Shelby a nice long break, and really just worked on their bodies and and feeling good about you know with the feeling you know getting their bodies to feel good. And um, we didn't pitch them at all during the fall season. And so the last three weeks, uh, I've had an opportunity to work with them and, and they both are really, their pitches are explosive. They're moving great. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're a little bit excited about where they are right now. And then Annabelle, what the fall gave her was a great opportunity to go out there and start a lot of games. Her and um, Emma Rolf to go out there in the fall, start a lot of games and have a great deal of success. They were both able to do that. And so we're excited there. You know, we have, we're going to have six or seven pitchers going into the spring. We haven't had that. Um, We haven't had that depth. We may have had the numbers, but we haven't had that depth. And so, it's really going to be allow us to to not have to use Maddie for all those midweek games. Um, so that 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 you know that's why I say you know we got the postseason and Maddie was tired. She pitch, she pitched her butt off. She really did a nice job, but she was tired. And uh, um, I you know we're just excited that that we've got the depth there now in pitching. And then still, we'll have Maddie and Shelby and Annabelle and and Elma to be able to throw in the weekend games, and, and so we're excited about that.
1: Considering if everyone is healthy as as they uh, as they can be, uh, would it be a situation where you might pitch more than just Maddie Penta twice each weekend in the conference play, or would that still be the
4: case? I think it depends on the matchup. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, it really does. Um, The games kind of dictate themselves when it comes to that. Um, You know, if you've got a pitcher and you start a pitcher and they're rolling through it, you you don't, you don't necessarily make that change, but if they're laboring, you can still be winning the game, but your pitcher may be laboring a little bit. And so you say, all right, we're going to cut her off at about 80 pitches, 85 pitches, because he's laboring, we're only getting through here through four innings, five innings, and and so you bring someone else in. So the king, the game itself kind of dictates those decisions, uh, and and the matchups. You know, sometimes uh, a pitcher can go. Well, let's be honest, a pitcher can go and and for three games they can match up extremely well with the team and shut them down. But for other other teams, it might be two times through the lineup, and you better get them out of there because of the matchup.
0: Coach, you've been pretty blunt with us about your offensive plans the last few years. You know, two years ago, you said more power, more power. That's what we're going to do. Last year, you talked about a more well-rounded type of offense. This year, I'm curious what the focus was from a broad standpoint offensively, especially considering when you look at the numbers, you really only have about 50% of your hits coming back. What was the message to the team in the offseason going into 2024 offensively?
4: Quality at bats. You know, having quality at bats. If you can have quality at bats, you can chase the opposing team's pitcher from, you know, from the game. Uh, And and what do hitters like to see a lot of? They like to see a lot of pitches. And so quality at bats about extending those number of pitches. And the more pitches a hitter will see and a team will see, the more success they will have. And, um, you know, I, I thought we, in the regular season, especially in the SEC, we did a really nice job of that. And and uh, in the postseason, it was hit and miss with that. And, you know, it's easy. It's easy to look at when, you know, we keep a chart. There's nine quality at-bats. And any time that we are above 50% in the quality of at-bats for our hitters, we won every game, you know. Um but we we just we want to have that consistency. Um and then we want to have the power. We want to have power throughout the lineup. We want to be able to score runs with one swing of the bat throughout the lineup. And I think you just have to have that combination. You've got to have that combination of being having consistent hitters in the lineup who are, who are, you know, base hitters. You've got to have power throughout the lineup. And you want to have speed uh, throughout your lineup. That doesn't mean every single player. That means you know, your one is a is is a great hitter. Your two uh, has a great deal of speed. Your three and four and five are your power hitters. Uh, your six is another average hitter. Your seven's another power hitter. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it does make sense to you guys because you you've been doing this for a while. <laughs>
1: Well, you have somebody like Nelia Peralta who was getting on base uh, consistently against pretty much anybody in the league, and she's coming back this year as an upperclassman. Uh, how has she responded to kind of going from being one of the the young ones on the team to now being a, a possible leader?
4: Well, it's interesting you say that because you know uh, we we just voted on our team leaders and captains, and and uh, and Nell was was voted as one of our team leaders, and so. You know, it, I think your team can be a lot better when your best players are voted as your captains and team leaders. And so that 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 speaks volumes there. You know, I think Nell is one of our better players, but she hadn't been getting those votes as a team leader and and you know, and now she's looked upon and and she's showing that maturity. And so her teammates notice it, and now now they're saying, "All right, Nell, you are one of our leaders." So that that's important.
1: Uh, is can that be a learned skill, a coach skill, or is that just something you kind of have to uh, come by naturally?
4: I think it can be both. Um, you know, I, I think I think every player has that potential to be a leader but when they get here they're trying to figure out what kind of leader they are does that make sense mm-hmm. and and as a younger player you know sometimes you don't have that confidence to allow your leadership abilities to come out and so you're a little more reserved not every players like that I mean there you know there's been some freshmen that have stepped on campus and bam it's like boom, they light it up uh, on the field, but they also light it up when it comes to leadership because they're vocal and and they put themselves out there. Uh, And so, you know, we do leadership classes throughout the entire fall semester and uh, right up until we start playing in in the spring. And, and, And hopefully those leadership skills and those meetings allow those younger players to develop that confidence earlier.
0: Auburn head coach Mickey Dean joining us here for softball media days coach portal wise, you brought in a pair of catchers. You've got Anna Woolers and Amelia Leck coming in. Where do those two fit in the lineup uh, and and how have they performed since stepping on campus?
4: Well, you know, what we were looking at is the the offense. Uh, We wanted two dynamic hitters and i didn't care what position they played um but you know we look at we look at uh, amelia you know and you know she hit like 17 18 home runs and in the big 10 against quality opponents and so that was important and then with anna you know she hit 12 13 four i can't remember how many home runs but she also had a high one base percentage, a high batting average, low number of strikeouts. And so that combination uh, is really funny because they were the first two players we went after and we got them both in the same week. And so, bam, we were done in the portal. Makes for a nice summer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just knock it out, right? Yeah,
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's unexpected. You know, it really is. But uh, I think what they were able to do is, you know, we we showed them the vision, what our vision was, especially with we 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 had returning in the circle, uh, some key players that we had returning, and to add them to it, I think they were able to put two and two together and say, "Yeah, we think this is a pretty nice fit."
1: Well, speaking of having a nice summer, Coach Gray uh, and I both had the opportunity to do some work with the Florida Gulf Coast League and Abby Smith from your squad. Yes. Had a great summer down in Florida as part of uh, part of that league. Uh, how much did that uh, experience help her moving forward? And uh, I think she'll uh, should definitely fit in nicely to your lineup.
4: Yeah, you know, absolutely. L- last year, uh, Abby was, you know, she was el- she was injured her freshman year, and then last year she did a cons- she was very important for us on the base running, and then also as a late defensive player for us uh, uh, out in the outfield. And I think she got a little bit of confidence. And then in her exit meeting, you know, we talked about the Florida league and and she said she thought she was going to go down and play in that. said I, I thought that'd be great because it's going to give her a lot more of it bats. Now that can go one of two ways. She can go down to Florida league. She can get those number of bats and they not go so well. And, uh-oh. Or she can go down there. She has a great summer, and it builds her confidence, and she brings it back with her, and it's exactly what happened. She went down there to the Florida League. She had a great summer, great deal of confidence offensively, comes back here and has an, a fantastic fall. Uh, our last two fall games, she basically just completely took over both games offensively for us. And, uh, you know, and I think that just that comes from that confidence from the summer and uh so you know people always ask me what do you think about your players playing during the summer after their season and i and, and there are certain players that i feel that that should go do that because it's gonna it's not really about their skill it's about their confidence and uh, and it, it really helped her
0: well coach i have to say i was up in nashville most of the time but every day I was getting a text, hey, so these are the highlights from the squeeze game, and uh, Abby Smith did this, this, and this. And it got to the point where I was like, y'all, I can't clip every single Abby Smith highlight. There are other people <laughs> in this league that we have to post about. I mean, she was she was really so impressive. And when I did get to see her in yeah. person, the, the talent was just off the charts, and the speed as well. Yeah. Really fantastic.
4: Yeah. Have you ever seen such a little person have such a cannon for an arm? Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely.
4: I yeah. mean, it, 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 she's one of the few players that I've that I've had that when she throws the ball in from the outfield, and you know we we try to get them to throw the long hop, it's like the ball speeds up when it when it hits the ground, and you know some players just have that that it's I don't know it's a natural thing, and uh, but she is she is you know we talk about her speed we talk about you know her her offensive abilities. But her arm, I mean, she has she has a cannon for an arm.
0: Well, Coach, I want to make sure we cover the other newcomers as well, the freshmen. You have five freshmen on the roster coming in this year. Who should we be on the lookout for as maybe a breakout stud here in 2024?
4: Well, you know, I think they all have an opportunity here. You know, uh, uh, y- you've got uh, Milena Tambora. I think she's going to do – She's going to have an opportunity, especially in midweeks, to show you what she can do. I mean, she's hitting 70-plus she's hitting um, and, and has now developed a change-up. And, and for a freshman, that's a nice combination to have. And so we're, we're excited about that. Uh, Talia Martin had a really good fall um, offensively. I mean, she really stroked the ball very well. And so we're excited about that. We really are, because uh, you don't see many freshmen that come in and just, you know, it's one thing to to, to light it up in fall ball because, it, you know, competition, but she does it in our inner squad against our own pitchers. So that's the nice thing to see right there. Uh, two of our players, freshmen, uh, uh, were rehabbing some injuries and so didn't really get a whole lot of playing time in the fall. And so we're looking forward to them, um, uh, you know, recouping those injuries and 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 getting getting themselves uh, ready to play. Uh, but I have to go back in time because I forgot to talk about one of the freshmen, which was uh, Kay, uh, Kaylee Clemens, and you know she's a lefty pitcher. But she's also a lefty power hitter, and so she had an, a tremendous fall as well. Uh, so I don't know how you edit this on your <laughs> on your on your podcast or your radio show, but uh, um, she did. She had a, a really really n- nice fall, and uh, uh, this is a kid. I really think by the time she's a junior or senior, she's the kind of kid that that you could see hitting. You know, 15, 18 home runs a season.
1: And she, she's another one that we got to see. Yeah, in, in the Florida Gulf Coast League. And, yes,
4: that's, you know, yes.
1: Playing, playing there as a person going from high school to college. Um, you know, there were a few times where yeah, you, know, you could tell that she was cu- coming off of playing high school, but there were definitely some big time flashes that you could see. She's going to be a big time player.
4: Yeah, and if she, you know. On on Saturdays, I think she could go play linebacker. I mean, she's, she's – <laughs> she's, that kid is built. She's a strong one.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned it earlier, Coach, that uh, Auburn is going to be hosting the SEC tournament this year. Uh, Alabama, we're going to be there for the last weekend of the regular season and then for the SEC tournament. By the way, Coach, we're basically just going to stay.
0: Yeah, we're yeah, just going to mean, We're just going to be around. So <laughs> it, it's very easy for us. Uh, <laughs> there but,
4: you go. There yeah. you go.
1: But uh, how excited are you to be uh, hosting the tournament? I know that's usually a a really big uh, boon for whoever is hosting.
4: Yeah, it is. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that excitement really helps us because you have an opportunity here to play Alabama at home your last series, host the SEC tournament, host the regional, Host a super regional. You got an opportunity here to sleep in your own bed until you head to Oklahoma City, and not many schools are going to, you know, programs are going to have that opportunity. This that to do that, we have that opportunity. But again, it's it's baby steps and it's one step at a time. It's not uh, we don't want to get to running up the steps and and trip and fall. So we want to make sure that we we're we're taking the steps necessary to put ourselves in a, in a great position. And, uh, but yes, have we talked about it? Absolutely. Because I think our, our players need to to see it and understand it so that they go out and they really try to take advantage of that opportunity.
0: How has the planning portion of that come along? I mean, we know how this works. We know that, that the, the committees and the site visits that they start, well in advance of all this but but how is that coming along over at uh over at the stadium in auburn
4: my focus has been on the team to mm. be quite honest um but um but the, the stadium will be ready it'll be ready uh and um uh, now it's a matter of us getting our team ready but uh, the school will do its part and uh it's going to be a great atmosphere a great atmosphere uh and 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 we're we're excited
0: absolutely mickey dean joining us here for softball media days coach now we get to the stuff that's big picture and we always love chatting with you about this because we we've heard so many wise things from you over the years and we love to pick <laughs> your brain about some of these i'm being i'm being serious we really do enjoy getting your opinion on all of this stuff and i want to start with rule changes because it was a big year for rule changes i mean pitching rules are different which i know you, i'm sure you have thoughts on obstruction has been clarified they've added stuff to the replay review list we have a visible pitch clock now was there anything that you were particularly thrilled by seeing on that list when it came out
4: um you know I think the obstruction rule is a, is a work in progress um and uh they've they've cleared they've cleared it up somewhat so it gives us you know it's amazing that we teach our players something and then we get 10 games into the season it's like no 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 it's got to be this way and then 10 more games no no it's got to be this way so that that clarification, I think, is really going to help. Um, I'm interested to see how the the, the clock works. But, you know, um, I'm old fashioned, and you know, basketball has a clock, football has a clock, baseball and softball doesn't have a clock. I think that's intentional. Uh, I'm not sure that our our game is built for a clock. You know, it is built for that pitcher and that batter to stare down each other sometimes and outthink and outmaneuver and outwit. And I don't know. You know, we're going to put a clock on it and we're going to see how it works. I understand why we're putting a clock on it, but I don't want to change our game so much that our game becomes unrecognizable or we're forcing young players into making mistakes because now we're adding a, a shot clock to a game that doesn't have a clock so there it is the pitching that's always going to be you, you know whoever's in charge is going to determine that and and uh i you know um uh, the game when it comes to pitching it's a give and take um I just, I you know, I don't want to see us go like the the men's international. I don't want it to look like that. Um, but uh, but I you know, I, I'm okay with where it is right now, as long as we enforce the the, the replant and not allowing the replant. Uh, I don't want us to get lazy as a, 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 you know officiating the game. Uh, I don't want us making rules to allow us to just be lazy and, and, and not enforce rules.
1: Yeah. I think that what we always just ask for is consistency. If they, you know, whatever the rule is, it's applied across the board uh, from, yeah. be, from beginning to end.
4: Yeah. It's a, it's okay. It's the rules. It's okay. It's a rule. Go by it. everybody. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the last few times we uh, had you on, we've discussed a lot about realignment and it was how it pertained to the SEC, uh, but this offseason we've seen how realignment is basically affecting the rest of the nation, uh, including the Pac-12 going from uh, the premier softball conference in America to basically this is going to be, it's going to be gone after this year. The,
4: the, the second premier conference. Well, of course, of course, of yes, course yes, of course, yes,
1: uh, but what? All these changes have been made with football and men's basketball in mind, but it's affecting all yeah. the other sports as well. Uh, how do you see all the realignment that's going up, uh, on across the nation affecting sports like softball?
4: Well, you know, I think it's going to come down to the individual institution and university. Uh, I understand money talks and football and basketball is where it is when it comes to the money. But I hope somebody is smart enough to take a step back and think about the other Olympic sports and how that travel is going to affect these young men and women going back and forth across the country um, and and understanding that they are not professional athletes yet. At some point, maybe we'll decide that, yes, they are professional athletes, and that's the direction we're going to go. But we haven't made that determination Yet, And so there's still students and, you know, uh, to, to have, to have, I mean, some schools are playing in three or four different, different, uh, time zones. I don't know how that is healthy. Yeah, coach,
0: I think that that's right on the money. And and, I mean, we've talked with a lot of coaches who've who've discussed the mixed messaging that has come out of this. You know, there's been so much focus on mental health in college sports, especially with with everything that's happened the last few years since the pandemic on. I feel like it's been such a focal point. And yet at the same time, you're asking kids who go to Oregon to perhaps have a road series at Rutgers next year, and then miss who knows how many days of class to have to go through all of that travel. I, I mean, it, it really is. It, it's confusing. I, I feel like to, to people that are actually inside college athletics, what we're really trying to do to help these student athletes.
4: Yeah. And that's why I say, I, you know, I feel extremely lucky to be in a power. well, I don't know how many, power conferences we're going to end up with, but to be in the SEC where our leadership, I think, understands that. And so we're not looking just to expand, just to say we expand it, but being very strategic. I I think our leadership in the SEC has thought about, you know, they understand, hey, the money part of it, but they also understand the student part of it. And so I'm very thankful for leadership in the SEC and not doing and what some of these other conferences doing. You know, I'll I'll be honest with you. We had a kid on campus uh, for for a visit and I didn't know who she was looking at. I really didn't. And I said, could you imagine playing in a certain conference? You could be playing in three different time zones within a 10 different 10 day period. And she looked at her parents, and she said, "Is that true?" And they said, "Yeah, it is. You know, you could be playing West, Central, Eastern, all within ten day period. Well, who wants to do that?" Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I'm trying. I'm not trying to shoot any conference down because it's not about conferences right now. It's 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 about Who's going to take care of these student-athletes? They're not professionals yet. Now, if we go in that direction and that happens, then so be it. But we're not there. And so, you know, I don't know. Again, I'm thankful for our leadership in the SEC.
0: Well, and I think, Coach, that's a natural transition into a discussion that we've been having with all the coaches here during this series about the SEC softball tournament and what that might look like in the future. We know that there have been some conversations and some ruminations about maybe going back to a neutral site SEC softball tournament like they had many, many years ago. Obviously not this year. We're excited to go down to Auburn for the tournament. But is that something that you've thought about in the future? Is that something that you would be in favor of? Have Have you even given it much thought? Where do you stand? On this,
4: I have, and and I would be in favor of it, uh, and and only you know, I I like for our fans to be able and our teams to be able to have some consistency there when it comes to that. Um, it's exciting to do it on campus for the home team, um, but I, I I do like. I do like the central site and a place that is an SEC country that we can call our own. And uh, so I do like the exploring of uh, 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 the exploration uh, of that idea. Uh, and and, um, and we'll see where it takes us. I, I know, uh, I know we've been discussing it, um, you know, I think it's good for baseball. Baseball does it. Uh, soccer does it. Um, so I, I would like, I, I do like that we're, we're exploring that idea.
1: One well, thing that would need to happen for that to come about would be there'd have to be a facility that would be capable of hosting the tournament. And uh, you know, when we have all the great events that have happened here recently in women's athletics, Uh, Nebraska volleyball selling out a football stadium, Iowa wins wins basketball doing the same. Um, You know, we've had huge crowds at the Women's College World Series each and every year. They expand and they sell it out as soon as they expand. Um, With all that happening right now, do you think that maybe gives the decision makers a little bit more oomph to uh, maybe make those expansions bigger and better and maybe build those facilities uh, that are capable of hosting those big events?
4: Yeah. I think what, I think what all this is proving is, is that you cannot build a venue that's going to be too big for an event like that. Mm. Whatever, many seats you put in it, you're going to have a button at seat. And so, uh, you know, you, can, you, you. so that's, that's as a business person, uh, you're like, Hey, you know, th- this can work. Uh, and, and I know, you know, all right, is, it, is it building a new facility from the ground up from scratch? I don't know, you know, for one weekend or whatever, or for one week. Uh, is it going into a major league or a minor league or whatever stadium and, and working it? Uh, I think we'll figure that out. But I would like to, I do like that we are exploring the, 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 the one location. Fans know where we're going to be. Year in from year out, um, and 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 I think it'll explode. I really do. I mean, you take a look at Oklahoma City, and it just, it, you know, it's a, it's exploded, and um, I, I think we can do the exact same thing with the SEC tournament.
0: And coach, I would like to pitch you something that I also pitched to Coach Murphy, and and I know that you watched the World Games a few summers ago and saw that huge crowd at the Hoover met for that event, which was really awesome. Would an Alabama Auburn, maybe midweek or or something, maybe even a whole series. I don't know. Would that kind of matchup in Hoover with all the fanfare and all those seats, would that be something that you would maybe consider? I'm just asking this is this. I think it'd be great.
4: Well, I think we're close enough, you know, um, you know, I don't know how we could do it, but, uh, Hell, you could play one game at Auburn, one game at Alabama, and one game at Hoover. Or you could have an annual uh, fall series at, at at the Hoover Met. I'm open to it. I'm open to anything. Uh, anything that the fans can come and really just just enjoy it, um, because you know that's that's what it's about. I, you know, I think the, I think the most fun part. Um, in in our games is is after the games when the kids come down and run the bases and they're mm-hmm. doing the autographs and uh, they're getting to meet the players and well heck, that that's what it's all about. And so anytime you have an opportunity for for an Alabama and an Auburn to go somewhere like the Hoover or, or, or and and do something like that, I'm all for it.
1: Especially, coach, as we move into uh, the expansion of the SEC starting next year, and how the conference schedules are going to look, there may be extended times where Alabama and Auburn are not on the schedule against each other during the regular season in the conference slate. So, uh, something like that, I think, would be great to you know keep that rivalry going, uh, because you know the fans were gonna as we're recording it's Iron Bowl week, the fans. Are going to turn out to see Alabama and Auburn play each other. Yeah, no matter what the it sport is, it could be is. chess. They right. would show up, but <laughs> definitely, definitely in softball too. So we uh, we got to do something where uh, the Tide and Tigers play, uh, even if they're not on the SEC schedule.
4: Absolutely, anytime I can compete against Coach Murphy, that's awesome.
1: I love it. I like your style, Mickey <laughs> yes. Dean. Joining us
0: here for Media Days, Coach. One last thing before we let you go: a couple fun questions, like we always like uh, to wrap up the interviews with. First things first, we're doing an all SEC pitcher draft coming up very soon in a few months. Myself, Tom, a couple guests, guests, uh, not sure who yet, but we'll work on it. Uh, and, and it's any pitcher who has pitched in the league from 1997 to the present day. That's a lot of people. You've been around the game a long time. You've seen a lot of folks who've played in this conference, not just from your Auburn coaching days, but from elsewhere. Who? would you say should be at the top of the draft boards besides the natural first pick, which will be Monica Abbott.
4: Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, well let's get a pick. <laughs> smart man. I was, show pe- I was gonna show people just how smart I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Goodness gracious.
1: Just just off Ooh. off the top of your head, who were some of the toughest pitchers that you faced Uh, In the SEC.
4: Man, I'm going to tell
3: you.
4: I'm going to go with Maddie Penta. It's a fair response. (laughs) SEC
0: Pitcher of the Year, she'll be on the boards. Absolutely. Yeah.
4: Do you want me to pick another one?
1: Sure. If there's there's there's... two or three
4: others, I'll just – just pop off. Uh, look. This is about the kids. This is not about the schools. Okay. Right. Uh, Go for it. But Jackie Trainer. Mm-hmm.
0: That's been a popular response. We've heard. We've heard her. We've heard a lot of love for Hannah Rogers. Uh, the Renfro yes. sisters at Tennessee have gotten a lot of mentions. Uh, And I think that that's been the most interesting part about this for, for Tom and me, like we could create a draft board of 40 pitchers and still not get to everybody. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, uh, good Lord. Uh, I I apologize. Uh, The kid from uh, the kid from LSU that threw really hard. Carly Hoover, Carly Hoover. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, you talk about a kid that, that, that is, that has really taken off with softball. I mean, she's still playing over in Japan and, and one of the top players over there right now. There's a lot of good ones in the SDC. That's that. Yeah. I don't, you know, you could It'd be some good games to watch, wouldn't it? Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, cause you know, I have to finish things off with a, with a food question. Um, we, when we were talking about the masters a few months ago, uh, we talked about the masters dinner and how the champion gets to pick the menu for the next year when they have that dinner in Augusta. Uh, if Mickey Dean, if you were the master's champion and got to pick that master's dinner, what would be on your menu? Elk steak. Oh, wow.
0: A- explain. Give, give us. Yeah. I, I, I've I never, never had, had elk, elk steak.
4: I've never not. had elk steak. Oh my God. No, you look, you, Oh yeah, you got to go have an elk steak out west. It's unreal. Unreal.
1: I, uh, I have I've never had one either but I I've heard of people have what what makes it what differentiates it from a regular porterhouse steak that we're used to having?
4: Uh it's a lot healthier for you. Hmm. No fat. Um and I mean it's it's good. You you have to have it to understand it. All right, I guess uh, we're going
0: to Montana or something, Tom. Let's go.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, elk steak and um, uh, uh, a nice sweet potato, uh, some green beans, and uh, you got to go with the the you know the Alabama banana pudding. Mm.
1: I love it. I'm in. Maybe, maybe some uh, Tumor's Lemonade? Yeah, well, of course, yeah. Tumor's <laughs> Lemonade. How could not? Yeah, of course, yeah. A, a
0: natural pairing with the <laughs> elk steak. With the steak, yes. <laughs> oh, man, I, that sounds delicious. I'm in, and I know, Coach, that we're going to get a lot of chances to, to eat well in Auburn when we're there for what will probably feel like two- three weeks, Yeah, it will be essentially two weeks when we're down there and we're very excited to see you and spend some time down on the Plains. Mickey Dean joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, always good to see you. Uh, A belated congratulations on your induction into the Radford Hall of Fame uh, for all of your work up there. And we'll uh, look forward to seeing you in a few months.
4: Absolutely, Absolutely. maybe we can do dinner and uh, yell out War Eagle to people (laughs) as we can on the (laughs) streets.
0: If there's anywhere in Auburn that does a nice elk steak, like, yes, yeah, we're, we're in. Let's go. No,
4: there, there is not at the moment. There is not. A, but I will have some in my freezer.
0: Okay. I like there that. I, it's a plan. Thank you, Coach. Awesome.
4: All right. Thanks, guys.
0: All right. So that's Mickey Dean, Auburn head coach. A lot of things to cover. First things first.
1: Will you eat elk steak? if we have the opportunity oh 100 okay. i'm not i'm not anti the elk steak i've just never had it our faces
0: in the zoom when he said elk steak we were both like hey huh?
1: what yes sir and I, my favorite part was that there was no hesitation it oh, wasn't like he, it was the quickest answer right. of any coach he didn't have to think about it he just has that unlock whenever somebody asks him what's your favorite thing to eat or what are we eating elk steak elk steak Hell yeah. I love it, Mickey Dean. I
0: like a man who knows what he wants. Yes, especially if it's steak related. (laughs) Yes, 100% I could not be more in. You know what else I'm could not be more in for Bama, Auburn and Hoover. And we talked to Patrick Murphy about it after the Zoom. I meant to ask about it. I did not. My bad murph is also in so now we as apparently the directors of this event have to figure out a way to get alabama and auburn to face off at the hoover met in some capacity right
1: so we we will be the out of the box llc sport event management trying to get this thing on (laughs) Uh, but i will build the wall myself in the outfield (laughs) bring it in sure i will hang the seats I mean I I think it's it's a no-brainer to to be able to do that. Right. It, it's been shown, you know, with what they did at the World Games that the venue is a good one when it's converted for a softball venue and you bring in Alabama and Auburn, we've seen the crowds wherever Alabama goes, you know, even before Montana fouls. The crowds showing up when Alabama's playing softball is not only when Montana's there. It's, right. it's you know, it's going to be gonna have great crowds all year this year and you do it with alabama and auburn together we're about to enter a, a portion of you know, an era where there could be several seasons and without an alabama auburn regular season series but they need to play so hopefully we can get that done
0: and mickey dean has done such a good job with this program it wasn't that long ago we were wondering you know could he be feeling a little bit of pressure down on the plains and those days have passed the problem is they got to get out of regionals. In particular, they need to stop playing Clemson. Yes. So as we look at the non-con, oh no, they're playing Clemson <laughs> in parts <Puerto Vallarta. laughs> of
1: But it's it's not it's not the do or die. season. right? Yes. Yeah. So that that's a and you know that's another conversation we're going to have about seeding one through thirty-two, one through sixty-four, so we can avoid these every single year. Yeah. Louisiana, LSU, Clemson, out Auburn type matchups.
0: Yeah. SEC schedule. At Missouri, Arkansas, at AM, Tennessee, at LSU, Kentucky, at Ole Miss, Alabama. Not the hardest, not the easiest. Kind of feels right down the middle. It feels, frankly, like an opportunity yeah. for, for Auburn because they do have Tennessee and Arkansas at home. So if they want to make a statement, this is the kind of schedule where they can.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it's going to come down to are they going to go with the Maddie Penta pitches twice in series and can she... You know get both wins in those series right uh if that's if they're able to do that you know she can have an opportunity to repeat as pitcher of the year and auburn can move up from a middle of the pack team to a you know top shelf of the league team but if she has some struggles or if it could it could go the other way
0: yeah is shelby low ready to help as well is she finally healthy
1: yeah that that might be even bigger and will some of the departures how, have they, how well have they replaced in the lineup some of the departures that they had, considering some of those departures were portal depart- departures that they might not have been thinking we're going to need to replace this season?
0: Yes. It's a tough team to predict
1: this year's Auburn
0: squad because what we know, we know. like We know it well, and we know that what we know is good. I use the word no a lot in that sentence. So my apologies to people who are saying gray word variation. <laughs> but what we don't know is, is kind of vast when right. it comes to everything Auburn this year.
1: It's interesting that it seems like every episode we've had at least one or two teams that kind of fall into an enigma type category. Yeah, uh, Auburn is in that, level, at that spot as well. Where will Ole Miss be in all of this? We know where they will be physically yes a new stadium they will be going a different direction from where they were away from the world's smallest press box and maybe to i hope to god a bigger press box just all i ask just like the bar could not be lower (laughs) on press box size and i mean i know everyone you know listening they don't care about the size of the press box but It was very small but we do (laughs) and we are the most
0: important people in this studio right now right
1: i don't know if you've seen the gopro from the world's smallest press box but man it's small a lot of people
0: wondering if i hurt my arm on the ladder and once yes but i still have that arm (laughs) right so everything is fine
1: they asked i was never asked if i would like to have a sledgehammer to help knock it down i didn't make the trip but I definitely watched the video. Perhaps we mentioned that with Jamie (laughs) Draxel. We'll all find out together
0: when we come back.
2: Learn more at marines.com.
0: All right. It's time for the final interview of softball media days. Tom, can you believe it? This is our 14th. Got them all again. We did. Caught them all. The Pokemon, (laughs) Pokemon, I guess. And I didn't do Pokemon. I, did, I Okay, Pikachu's a thing. That's all. Sure, sure. If you want to hit us up about Pokemon and tell me how I messed that up, <laughs> at Gray underscore Robertson on my Twitter. So we're about to talk to Jamie Traxel, the head coach of Ole Miss, and I want to make it abundantly clear. Of course, we start the interview talking about Finley Traxel. Oh, yeah, I am
1: a simple man. I there like how else do you begin, Finley? Simple. Likes the che- the Cheerios. Yeah. We're simple. We like dogs. We're, yeah. We're, we're I love say. puppies. I love yeah. chocolate-covered potato chips. Shout out again
0: to the Traxels for that. Still have the box. Still over there. Chip's no longer in it because that was months ago. Right. But they I still eating. have the box. They were eaten. Yes. And outside of Finley, there, there is, as we talked about earlier, a lot of change with Ole Miss. And we address all of that with Jamie Traxel here coming up in a bit. Yeah,
1: there's changes in the coaching staff, changes in the lineup, changes in the pitching circle, changes to the facilities. A lot going on in Oxford. Basically, the only thing not
0: changing is the fact that they are playing in Oxford.
1: Yes. The, the city has remained the same. They're in Oxford. Jamie Traxel is the head coach. Yes. Other than that, change it all
0: up. So let's learn a lot. It's time to hear from Jamie Traxel, the head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels, our final interview for day four. Of softball media days, we continue with softball media days here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson, pleased to be joined by one of our friends from over in Oxford, Mississippi, the head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels, Jamie Traxel, joining us. Coach, good to see you. How are you?
5: It's great to see you, Gray. It's uh, great. It's been great. Um, good to see you too.
0: Well, I- I'm not going to beat around the bush. We're going to start. Right off the top, how is Finley, our dear friend, our angel, (laughs) Finley Traxel?
5: She looked like she was dressed as a little elf last night for a holiday party. I think there was a little picture on social media because she was standing by the presents, trying to get her little nose into them. And then I think we put the caption as, like, these aren't for me. So uh, she's doing great. (laughs) She's a little elf last night, um, still making everybody smile.
0: I have to say, and I'll speak for Tom, even though he's not here. One of the highlights of last season was getting to hold and pet and <laughs> interact with Finley Traxel. that was that made me so happy that day
5: yeah it makes us happy too so we bring around as much as possible and um but that was kind of the intent of her too so she's doing good thanks for asking
0: amazing we love Finley and coach I want to talk about last year as well uh there were some good moments there were some tough moments it was kind yeah. of an up and down season but when mm-hmm. you look back at 2023 what are your main takeaways
5: You know, you probably said it. I think there were some, you know, uh, high aspirations, you know, and not fictitiously, just because of the returners that we had, um, the newcomers that we had coming in from the experience of the transfers, you know, kind of what the freshman class was going to bring. And so, um, you know, overall, to be honest, like I, you know, it, it challenged us. There was not, it was tough for us to get our feet underneath us. I just felt like, You know, we had a couple of injuries early on with with Caitlin Riley and Tate Whitley. So losing those two the very first like weekend out for for about four weeks or so. And then we had, like you said, some good moments, but we just it never felt like we could. We just had our feet underneath us. We just didn't. You know, Um, so we had good weekends, won some turn, won some series, lost some series. But it it was a grind. I think that was a, a season that tested everybody mentally um, I think we played our best down the stretch um, you're never going to be disappointed and certainly undervalue, you know, being able to play as one of the last 32 teams to try to advance to super regionals. Um, so we're proud of that and how we were able to finish there too. Had a, a great win in the conference tournament, lost a little bit of a heartbreaker, you know, I think to to Texas A&M, but, or to Auburn, sorry, maybe that's the story. We had a couple that literally, I think someone, if they could have just put our heart In their hands, it got broken a couple of times. We just had a few of those games and, you know, some years it goes where it feels like that. And sometimes you're like those close games, you ended up on, on the winning side of it too. So, uh, return a lot of players gained a lot from it, but it was definitely a, a challenging year.
0: Well, the last time we physically saw you, you returned the favor in that epic Game Three of the Alabama Ole Miss series. And yeah. as we were leaving, they were bringing in the sledgehammers; they were ready to rip that thing <laughs> down and start building the new stadium. Yeah. How is the progress with yep. the new facility coming along?
5: It's doing great. It's exciting. Um, you know, obviously, it's just right outside our building, so we get to see it every day. Um, we had a really a great fall. We had very few days that we had any rain. So it was busy, and now you see structures and bullpens and the outline and dirt and stuff too. So it's pretty exciting to see that uh, it'll be game ready for the spring, and, and then continue to be built around. Um, you know when they can do that too. But you know to be able to be part of something like that, not many coaches get the opportunity to even just be into a new facility, let alone be able to be part of it. So pretty, and we're really grateful for that. And Keith Carter, Keith Carter, and the input we've been able to have.
0: And what were what was the plan in the fall with that facility being built? Obviously, you had to yep. go somewhere to practice and play. Right. How did that happen?
5: Yeah, we pretty fortunate in Oxford. Everyone's you know pretty supportive of Ole Miss and Ole Miss Athletics. So there's two facilities, Oxford High School, M-Trade. That's a great facility. It's got like 12 fields there, a great indoor with six cages. And so both were able to kind of open up their facilities to us. Uh, we practiced in the mornings for the first time. Which will be something that we'll continue to do. Um, classes were in the afternoon to avoid obviously the high school team practicing in the afternoon during their time and then any events that M Trade had. So practices were in the morning off site, both are you know 10 minutes from campus at best. And um, but to have, you know, the access to the quality of field and facilities that we were able to do, really grateful for that. Um, and we just had we had really nice weather. We didn't get rained out, I think maybe but one or two days or I didn't even think we got rained out. We just adjusted our practice facility. Our hitting cages on campus have been available and accessible all fall too. So anytime anyone wanted to put in a little extra time, you know, didn't have to leave campus to do that. And uh, we were able to gain access from it too. So now overall, we had a really good fall and big thank you to M trade and Oxford high school for opening up their arms to us.
0: Well, Coach, as we look at the roster, I want to start with Lexi Brady. That was a yeah. name that that really kind of burst on the scene yeah. down the stretch. By the end of the year, you could argue she was your most consistent hitter. Yeah. And how does she continue to build off of such a strong finish last year to kind of become one of the focal points of your offense?
5: Yeah, I think just handling kind of the expectations and not trying to recreate it for one thing, too. But, um, you know, Lexi maybe started – kind of gained her opportunity halfway through conference – that conference season and just took advantage of the opportunity that she got is the Sunday of the Kentucky series, led our team in hitting and conference the rest of the way. Like you mentioned, um, just had great composure, some big time at bats, big hits, big walks, um, huge RBIs. Can't say enough, of, enough about her contributions. And she went home, worked really hard. And you know, obviously, I think the big thing is just keep like she's a worker. Um, it's making sure she doesn't hit herself out of feeling good. Sometimes as a perfectionist, she's a really bright kid. Um, but we look, you know, we look for her to be someone who's a big time contributor for us, you know, the whole year, not just in conference or a portion of it too. And, uh, she's getting the opportunity. She's earning that this year to have that. And, um, just making sure she's not trying to recreate something that she earned last year and what she was able to do. And she's in a great mental space right now, had a really good fall.
0: Well, I have to ask you as well about Jayla Lasseter, who is probably one of the most electric players I saw last year. So good in the field, so good in the plate speed for days. What has she done this off season ahead of her sophomore campaign to keep it rolling and improve even more?
5: Yeah. She's got an elite mentality too, you know, along with just being a really good athlete, the mentality and is elite, you know, um, standards, personality, like you said, is electric. She's fun to watch. You can't, I mean, there's not many softball players, even outfielders that you are literally gravitated to and you have your eyes on that will capture your attention um, besides the speed on the base pass, she's incredible instinct She's an, a great base runner. She's gonna find a way to score. Um, she's intense. She's really continues to grow as a teammate and a team leader to stepped into that role um for us this year, too, even as a young athlete. But she's certainly capable of that and has always had some of those skills too. So she's crazy, she's a, a great athlete, showed up every day just like the rest of our team with a lot of intent. There are less than five times that we've had to address our team with anything. Um, about just not having the low level of intent needed. I mean, literally, it was a great fall. But I think partly because of, you know, someone like Jayler kind of setting that standard and how you show up and you do it and train at that level, too. So we'll look for she's a top three outfielder in the country Thought that last year, too. So look for her to have another great season and even be a more a contributor on the offensive side, too, is she has that year under her belt.
0: Yeah. I like that. You said that she just knows how to score. I'm, I'm remembering right now, game two of the Alabama Ole Miss series. I think she beat out an infield single, stole a base, great base running on a ground ball. And then I think it was a squeeze play. She came in to score. And I remember we said on the radio, Jayla Lassiter just gave Ole Miss a run and that that's just pure talent.
5: Yeah. It just, it's a gift for sure. You know, those speed, you, you can't teach speed and not just the speed, but her instincts. And I just think it's her mentality. Like, She's always looking for something the next play. And she's a big time player in big moments. She doesn't fear them, and she wants to be in those situations. And that mentality has continued along with Caitlin Riley and some other players too that they're just kind of bred that way um, has really infected the rest of our team as well. So um, we were, in a, we're in a really good mental space, but a lot impartial because of some of those players Jayla included.
0: Well, you also dipped into the portal yet again, and we'll talk about some other folks, but I want to first focus on Courtney Day, who was so good at Texas, you talked about in the D1 fall report, her ability to show power on the big stage at the Women's College World Series a few years ago, when she went in the portal that was a name that that immediately stuck out and she's coming to Oxford, what kind of power presence does she provide for your offense
5: that and just her experience she's a great kid she knows hitting she's a hitter um you know her body of work speaks for speaks for itself I think that even alludes like confidence for for into her no matter who it is um but that's a big time bat um who's had a lot of experience and and has been able to be a big hitter in big moments and obviously none none more important than being in Oklahoma city at the college world series, like doing it. So really happy. She's a great, she's a great kid. She's fun to be around. She's been a a great addition to our culture and personality too, but that's a big time bat that, that will fit very well into the heart of our lineup.
0: And what about the rest of the portal class? I got to see front and center Jaden Pone from Longwood, her athletic ability when they played in Tuscaloosa last year, you brought in some people from really all over the country.
5: Yeah. Yep. Um, a good balance of transfers. So, you know, Delaney, obviously a four-year starting infielder, uh five-star character, um, incredible work ethic, true confidence, composure. Um, she could sit at most adult tables and act like she and, and feels like it she belongs. Um, just a great skill set. And again, a ton of experience with good training and Bree Lopez a lefty pitcher who's obviously coming from the west coast uh, had a lot of innings you know at Hawaii too so something we didn't have on staff this year was a lefty so a great addition and what she throws too Jaden has uh you know a lot of tools as a lefty um has the ability to play infield outfield you know short games you can you challenge inside 60 feet she has some power some natural power true speed um aggressive base runner too so her and Jayla together just kind of like reading off each other a little bit Her Jayla's been really good at like helping you know some of our terminology and some of like kind of what our systems are too and then Ryan Starr who's to be honest like an elite infielder like um came from Syracuse and you know she's got an incredible skill set she does so many things naturally well to be honest like what she does is just so good like to be honest, throughout her career, I don't think there's any reason she can't be one of the best infielders in this conference. So very balanced class, excited for them. Um, I'm proud of our returners for welcoming them and then helping them transition. We always say what helps the transition are people who help with a transition and be able to do that. Let people feel comfortable so they can be confident and be them. And then obviously maximize the gains. And as we continue to move the needle forward.
0: Jamie Traxell joining us here for softball media days coach let's move to the circle pitching wise Ansley Furbush mechanically thermos Caitlin Riley they all had pretty similar innings pitch mm-hmm. numbers last year you talked about Bree Lopez who threw a lot for Hawaii how has the staff shaped out as this fall has gone on has anyone emerged as an ace or could it be kind of similar to last year numbers wise
5: yeah, you know um, they've all got better. I know it was a really good fall. All the pitchers feel really good about where they are. Um, I'll throw Grace Sparks even into that mix. Hallie Burns ca- is coming in as a freshman. She's different and unique in the sense that she has great spin. Excuse me. Um, Grace Sparks is another pitcher who got who's had innings last year, and we'll look for her to have a good role too. Um, you know, they just all had a really good fall. So uh, I know they're pretty excited about, we have some experience, you know, obviously McKenna was a transfer. I always think year two as a transfer is probably your best year two. It's not easy to do that, so even year one, even if you're successful. So look for McKenna to have her best year two. And I know everyone's settled in and, um, but An- I mean, Anzley is thrown, I think from nine innings to about 50 innings, to about she was in the eighties last year. So throughout her career, got better off you know, was able to like contribute even more two-way player, just like Caitlin Riley. So really grateful for our pitching staff. That is the the biggest strength unit um, and most experience that we have from, you know, on our team. And then I think with Lexi and Jamie, even as I know it's a pitching question, but Lexi and Jamie being catchers, sophomore, freshman, and then our junior, sophomore, um, both having experience behind the plate too. So really like comfortable and confident with our battery, obviously led by the depth and the character and the work ethic of our pitchers.
0: And before we move to some of the big picture stuff, I want to make sure we talk about basically a brand new staff, a brand new crew around you in Oxford. How has everybody meshed and how are things looking with uh, all the new coaches joining you on staff?
5: To be honest, it's been great. And maybe in part because it was so much change at one time, you know, um, I think that maybe was, you know, piece of it too. And we're practicing in the mornings for the first time and we're off site for the first time. And, um, I'm really grateful for the staff we've been able to put together. uh they're all elite and they all come from different places and so um, I think just even with maybe where they come from, there was some credibility right there and then obviously it's a little different once you start to work with them uh but they're high level people, they're high level coaches, extremely intelligent in every area so uh very balanced um staff. our kids took to them really well, and I think because of that too, we were able to just hit the ground kind of running. And um, we've just like finished up practice here this week and had our best week. You don't feel your freshest the last week of, you know, your fall um, with academics and all these other things. And like, it was our most challenging week with the demand and the things that we were asked of them and what we were doing. And it was hands down our best week. And um, I know our players are pretty excited and they should be because we've had great training spaces and made a lot of development as, as we kind of moved into something that looks a little different here at Ole Miss. But big credit to our players for being open um, to helping people with the transition, making them feel comfortable and confident. And I think the reason we can feel the way that we do at the end of the fall is because of who our players were and how they adapted and how they really attacked, like kind of the what's here and who's working with them now too. And as a head coach, I'm grateful for Daniel and Carl and DJ and and our grad managers and our new managers. And we have a new director of ops as well. So um wasn't quite as smooth with a lot of people being new and everybody moving and all that stuff. But um, overall, we had a great fall.
0: Well, and you talk about adapting. That is a natural transition into something that we talk about every year, I feel like, in this podcast series. And that is rule changes. Uh, We have seen a big shift. Pitching rules are different. That's something a lot of coaches have touched on. We have a visible pitch clock now. Obstruction has been Tinkered with, maybe clarified a touch. We'll see what actually happens when we need it. Uh replay <laughs> review has had some stuff added. Was there anything in particular that you were really excited about when you saw it come out on that docket?
5: Uh, I, you know, obviously as a kind of a defense is kind of my passion and area of expertise. I think just the cleanup of like obstruction, just to make sure it doesn't take away maybe an outer play that, you know, the rule, the black and white of it doesn't, override the common sense or just the play of an outer safe. And I think that was maybe the intent of it too. Um, The safety bag, obviously it's not required, but permissible, which may transition to of that running lane. Um, You know, we have a men's fast pitch guy on staff. So obviously the loosening up of the pitching rules, um, Carl being from New Zealand and a men's fast pitch elite pitcher, you know, has a lot of experience with what that looks like. And so um, I think it's good for the sport. And I think the pitch clock could be obviously a little transition, but I think that's good to keep the pace of the game and the interest there. And obviously the time slots for the TV that are really important to the popularity of our sport and keeping it really visible and accessible.
0: I'm glad you brought up the common sense aspect of the obstruction rule, because I've talked <laughs> to umpires who, who were frustrated by the fact that yeah. there was no, as Madison Shipman would say, she's hosed clause. Yeah. Like, and and now we've got something like that yeah. in the ruling.
5: Yeah, I would agree. Like there was, I think I was watching like a Tennessee Arkansas game once too. And there was a play at the plate and she just was out in the ball. would be. I mean, even if you were to stop it, like it had no bearing on what the, the runner coming home was doing. I just remember like watching that and it, they made the call the right way and then it got overruled for obstruction. I was like, wow, like that's just tough. Like, not every throw is going to be perfect. And to just allow even the timing of it, um, just to make that, that part of it to the realness of it. If you're just out, you're out, you know, um, versus the safety of it. So to avoid the collision, the making sure people have a path to like the bag and I'm in favor of that, um, for sure. But I just think sometimes like when the ball beats you and no matter what you were, the result would have been the same to over to change that. Like, I think it makes sense.
0: Yeah. I remember that play. That was Kiki Malloy doing Kiki things and she just absolutely hosed her. And it was, (sighs) that's why I'm glad they changed the rule. Coach, we've also talked a lot about conference realignment. Obviously the SEC will be changing a good bit next year, but this past summer we saw change that we've never seen before in college Mm -hmm. sports. The PAC 12 is for all intents and purposes done. I know Oregon state and Washington state are trying to do the best that they can, but People are moving to the ACC. People are moving to the Big Ten. And and all of this is done with football in mind and maybe a little bit men's basketball, but mainly football. People are forgetting about volleyball, tennis, golf, softball, soccer, those kinds of sports. When Mm -hmm. you see all of this movement across college sports, does it give you concern about what could be the future of, of college softball?
5: You know, I don't know if I've thought about that. What it really makes me is grateful where I am, you know, um, the conference that we're in, you know, the leadership that we have here at Ole Miss, the investment that they're committing to softball, along with the other sports here, we have incredible leadership. I think we're in a, in a great secure, like Oxford's a great place, college town. Um, so I'm grateful for where we are. And obviously there's been a couple additions to the sec, but nothing, nothing that was you know, dynamic is, you know, some of the other conferences, whether they've lost them, they're flying three time zones away, like, um, getting back late. And I'm from the, the upper North, like the Midwest. And so I know what it's like to be on seven flights, commercial flights and change time zones. They get back at one in the morning, you do it all again. And while you go practice inside, like, um, you know, so I, I understand that. So I get that piece of it, but it makes above anything, it makes me grateful where I am. And, to make sure we're taking advantage of, of this conference, the location, the proximity to, you know, our opponents, the re- proximity to recruiting and, and grateful for our leadership. But it's, um, it's definitely seems like a wild ride out there.
0: Well, you mentioned being at Minnesota, if I remember correctly, your two world series opponents were UCLA and Washington. Yeah. Can you imagine if that was back-to-back conference <laughs> series?
5: Yeah, well, I, I can, because I'm in the SEC. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I can do that. I, what I can't imagine is, uh, I think I said that to Kelly, I was actually by her when it came out and I was like, you know, Kelly, it's, um, Accu weather and the real field is 28 degrees that you'll be playing softball in the big 10. So, um, and I appreciate, I am very grateful for where I come from. Um, I still love the winter and all that, but it's, it's definitely a different way of playing. And, um, especially from maybe a, a warmer, you know, climate school. So, um, so the opponents, uh, you know, we get to live that every every weekend here in the SEC. the the amount of travel, the time zones, that's going to be a challenge for sure.
0: Well, speaking of this great conference that we're covering here on softball media days, there has been a little bit of discussion behind the scenes about potentially going to a neutral site SEC softball tournament. They did it back in the old days, and then we've been doing campuses for years. And now it, it seems like people are talking about it a little bit more. Do you have a stance on? how you would feel about a neutral site sec tournament now
5: you know i don't have i don't have a strong feeling either way at pro or against it um you know when you walk into that tournament it feels like you're walking into the world series like the professionalism you know the espn the host teams and stadiums have done an incredible job making it feel like a special event i wouldn't I know that in order to make it a neutral site, it would have to come with a lot of, you know, kind of those like requirements, too. And that would be the intent to do it is to um, with so many good teams. It feels like, again, you're walking in just a high level postseason play tournament. So I know it's going to be done right. Um, You know, so for me, I don't know if I have a strong feeling either way. The experiences that we've had going to the different locations has been nothing but you know, high class and feels like you're literally walking into the World Series. So, and I wouldn't expect that to change the level of field, uh, the attendance policy. Like, I just think they're not going to do something that's not best for this conference either.
0: Well, it's interesting because one of the big issues is finding a facility, right? If we were to go to a neutral site location, where would it be played? And that kind of leads into the question that Tom has asked every coach, and you're a fascinating person to ask this to as well, since. Ole Miss is in the process of building a new stadium, but we've seen the growth of women's sports and softball just blast off the last few years. The world series is consistently sold out. We saw the world games in Hoover a couple summers ago, just absolutely stacked with people watching a third place world games matchup before even USA and Japan faced off Nebraska volleyball, Iowa women's basketball. They've been putting people in football stadiums. Do you feel like all of this, all of this progress will force leaders who are maybe making additions to their own campus softball stadiums or facilities mm-hmm. to think a little bit bigger because the interest is out there?
5: You hope so, you know, and I think like each conference is different. The leadership is different. It matters who you work for. It matters how important you and your sport are to them. Um, but they're definitely, there's a love proof to know that the the interest is there. To watch high level athletes and high level, um, you know teams play, you know, and now like just like you mentioned from Caitlin Clark, obviously from Iowa and what she's able to do in Nebraska volleyball and stuff too, like people will show up and support them for sure.
0: All right, Coach Jamie Traxel is joining us here for softball media days. We wrap up with the fun questions so here we go the first <laughs> yeah. question uh, might require a little mental research so be prepared right. we are going to be doing on this podcast very soon an all-time sec pitcher draft from 97 to the present day uh, tom myself and a couple guests we're going to build some staffs so i've been asking all the coaches to think outside of their own programs who in the conference oh, would you consider as somebody up on the top of the draft board besides Monica Abbott, who we have all agreed will be the number one pick.
5: Mm-hmm. I guess Barnhill just for mm-hmm. uh, my depth doesn't go like super deep. Cause in the North is up in the North. I, my recollection doesn't go super deep in, in the sec here too. So did you
0: see Barnhill a couple times when you were at Minnesota? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Once, once.
5: once. Yep them in Florida.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, the beautiful part about this question is we've had a lot of different names mentioned and because there are so many options and, and you know, even from 97, a lot of people have talked about trendy Johnson from South Carolina. And mm-hmm. nowadays we've heard Rogers fouts. I mean, it, the whole gang, yeah, fouts, th- yeah. this conference has been blessed with great pitchers.
5: Yeah, for sure. Uh, deep. And when you have a uh, pitching is life for sure. And when you have an ACE, it changes your program. No doubt.
0: Absolutely. Finally, we will wrap up with a food question because we are who we are. And we did a little segment on the pod earlier this year around master's time describing our master's champions dinner menu. Mm -hmm. So Jamie Traxel, if you won the (laughs) master's right now and you had to plan for the master's champions dinner starter soup and salad entree dessert, what's one meal item or food item that would go on your menu steak steak okay well how how do you like your steak medium rare me too that's the correct answer
5: <laughs> steak and <laughs> shrimp however that's however that like adds up in some cheesecake because i just think cheesecake's a, a good dessert so and you gotta have some green so you gotta have a good salad but it's gotta have like some stuff on it too like some actual vegetables, eggs, like it's got a little like part to it.
0: Do you have a specific steak in mind? Because Courtney Diefel said the same thing. And she said her husband's steak, we joked would be very busy making Mm. steaks for every master's (laughs) champion at this dinner. (laughs) Do you have one that sticks out?
5: I like the type of steak, like a tenderloin or like a, is that what you're asking?
0: Uh, Maybe from a restaurant. What, you know, go as deep as you want.
5: Oh gosh, I don't know. I'm simple. Like I like just a simple sirloin. I know tenderloins are good and stuff too. Uh, I'm not a ribeye fan. It's just probably too much fat for me. So uh, if it's cooked right and it's a good cut, I could take a sirloin just being simple and, and cooked the right way. But um, I'm a Texas Roadhouse fan. Again, kind of simple. We have Oxford Grill House here in Oxford. That is awesome. So if I actually had to choose from anywhere I've been, that's probably the best steak that I've had. Almost anywheres Oxford Girl House here in, in Oxford.
0: I love it. Well, I hope you win the Masters. And then <laughs> I'd I do love as to well. win the Masters.
5: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be at the Masters. That'd be fun.
0: Oh, uh, maybe one day. If it wasn't during softball season, right? Then maybe.
5: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I look forward to a little little golf time of my own uh, over this break. So if I could have a golf club in my hand and do anything to, I'd be pretty happy.
0: Oh, that sounds incredible. Jamie Traxel. Thank you so much for joining us here on softball media days. Always good to see you. And we'll see you later on this year when Ole Miss comes to Tuscaloosa and then hopefully with Finley in tow, either there at the sec tournament.
5: <laughs> She'll be there. Gray. Appreciate the time. Thank you.
0: All right. There is Jamie Traxel. Tom, first off new stadium. I hope they get it done in time. Coach Traxel says yes. At the same time since COVID, construction has been kind of all over the place no matter what you're building
1: yeah i hope it's not a vanderbilt football situation right where we are bringing a scoreboard on a crane i hope that is not happening but yeah it's going to be you know it just had to happen yeah not just the press box They're you know the facilities you know considering you're in the sec and what everybody else is doing need an upgrade they got the upgrade
0: yeah it had to happen and otherwise, I mean, you heard everything that Coach Traxel talked about with the new staff. And I mean, it is basically like a whole bunch of new people surrounding her. The biggest thing, as I said to Coach Traxel, like Courtney Day, adding Courtney Day, adding like legitimate power five power is huge. Last year with Maya Stevenson, who was such a home run threat at Marshall, it didn't quite pan out. She had some moments. We saw it. Yeah, we saw one. Yeah. But. With Courtney Day, you know that you're getting more often than not double-digit home runs and a lot of RBIs, and that instantly upgrades half the lineup just because it it makes the possibility of using the speed of Jaden Pone and Jayla Lasseter all that much more deadly knowing that you've got somebody like Courtney Day who can drive
1: them in. Offensive consistent power was something that was missing in that lineup last year, and that is definitely addressed with bringing in Courtney Day.
0: Yeah, just forty nine home runs last year, and this is an Ole Miss team. Even with Mike Smith, power was not their thing, and so to have that added element is just gigantic.
1: Yeah, so there, you have to have is you know you don't have to have home run hitters one through nine in the lineup, but there has to be some in there that are going to make it difficult to pitch uh, around the other people. That's something Ole Miss was most missing last year, and they have it this year. The problem, the schedule. Hmm.
0: So you open with the Egg Bowl of softball, Mississippi State. That is huge for a lot of reasons, and I kind of wish it was played later in the year because there are going to be some stakes. But then this little run of at LSU, Georgia, South Carolina, at Alabama, at Texas A and M, Auburn, and at Arkansas. By little run,
1: I mean the rest of the conference schedule. That's just brutal. That's rough. You know, that's like you know similar to what Alabama's schedule looks like, just one after another after another of teams that can very easily win the series, if not do worse to you. Uh, So Ole Miss is going to have to find ways, one, to avoid those sweeps, and then two, try to steal some series victories in there. Like, do you know how hard that is? And I didn't even say the
0: word Tennessee. Right. Stunning. Yeah,
1: that is a very tough schedule for the Rebels in 2024 so we'll see if Ole Miss can
0: grab a few here and there Uh, we will see Ole Miss come to Tuscaloosa near Vitale, and really about the midway point in the conference season okay Tom that's all the interviews now it's time to reveal the secrets Mm. we're going to tell people stats
1: (laughs) the secrets from games that were open to the public that (laughs) anyone could see Yes, Tom, sometimes it is just that easy. <laughs>
0: right you just show up. Right. People are like, how'd you get that? I wrote notes. That's it. Watched the game. Just yes, watched and wrote notes. Yes. The fall ball special is next. Alabama fall ball stats. Team discussion. Mailbag. Way too early SEC top fives. And then a wrap up of softball media days. It will be a cornucopia of like everything you can imagine. When we return. thank you to all the coaches taking part in 2023 softball media days thank you to the three coaches who joined us for day four alabama auburn Ole miss but now tom here we are on the out of the box podcast back to our roots it's time to discuss debate and inform okay sounds good to me so i'm gonna read the fall ball stats i have every player here i'm gonna read everybody before that
1: You saw some of the fall ball games. I did. I didn't. I wasn't able to make all of them, but I saw uh, three or four. You were busy. Yeah. Stuff was happening. Your main takeaways from what you saw from Team 28? Yeah. That this is going to be a fun team to watch. This is going to be one of those teams. I know Team 27 is going to be a special one in everyone's heart. Yeah. I think 28 is going to be very special as well. For a few different reasons, but I think it's going to, it's a team that is a very likable team. It's a team that is going to be fun to watch a team that I, team 27 had, there were one of the things that you always talked about, they're going to frustrate you, Mm -hmm. but then they'll do something great to make you fall in love with them again. I don't know if team 28 is going to be as frustrating to watch. Okay. I think they're, I think they're going to be a little bit more consistent top to bottom. I think they're going to have, they're going to execute and make maybe even more plays overall than Team 27 did. Ooh, it? I
0: like that. Yeah.
1: Fall ball was impressive. It was. I was and now, and they,
0: there wasn't a Georgia Tech. There wasn't a Memphis. Yes, we understand yes. who they were playing. I but promise. I've also watched fall ball the past few years, and I've seen Alabama in games against community colleges and junior colleges where they win 7 nothing. It's mm-hmm. been fine.
1: Sure.
5: We
0: saw I've, games here where it was 15 nothing.
1: Right. I've seen Alabama lose to you know, D2 or community college teams. Now that Alabama team still went on to go to the World Series. So it's, I'm, fall ball is not necessarily – the results are not indicative of how the season is going to go. Sure. But I was very impressed. Shall we read the fall ball stats?
0: Do it. All right, so I don't even know what order this is in. I just wrote them in. <laughs> and we can talk about each individual player as we go through we start with Lauren Johnson, a freshman. In fall ball, she hit 4-17, 5-12, couple RBIs, a triple, a double, a walk, and six runs scored. Part of that outfield rotation, Tom, probably going to see her maybe as a midweek starter, probably a pinch runner, maybe occasionally a pinch hitter, but potential, certainly there.
1: Yeah, definitely have a lot of good potential. The outfield is as set as maybe I've ever seen it in the fall. Yeah. So it's going to be hard for a outfielder to break into a top into the starting lineup barring injury, which not Wood won't have one. Well, a big reason why the outfield is set
0: is Lauren's sister, Jenna. Yes. Jenna Johnson in the fall. The big sis. 7 of 12. That's a 583 average. 7 RBIs, a triple, a double, three walks, and 7 runs scored. Tom, my favorite part about this, Jenna has started hitting it to all parts of the park, such a pull hitter for basically every year of her career. And whatever she did in the off season, it started in Italy according to our sources, we were not there. It started there and it progressed in the fall and now we're seeing a Jenna Johnson that is truly an offensive weapon. When we get to season, the question will be can she be an offensive weapon hitting 320 or better? But the fact that it's more versatile is a really good sign.
1: Yeah, that's, I think that's going to be kind of a uh, a theme for a lot of returning players is that you're seeing uh, just a lot more versatility. You're seeing people hitting it to all parts of the ballpark. We're seeing people you know that we knew could both slap and hit away, both slapping and hitting away. It's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be a lot of fun. Bailey Dowling, five of 14, 357 average,
0: seven RBIs, a triple, a double, two walks, a strikeout, two runs scored. The thing you're looking for BD this year, first off, very interested to see if this third base thing is a thing when the season starts, but you're looking for her probably to be the team leader in home runs this year.
1: Yeah, just general overall consistency will be the theme for Bailey Valley.
0: Riley Ballantyne, 5 of 14, 357 average, four RBIs, three doubles, five walks, and six strikeouts. So the six Ks, that sticks out a little bit like a sore thumb, but you heard Coach Murphy talk about it. At the beginning of the fall, she was probably the best hitter. Out there. So when we get to the season, the question will be can Riley Valentine. When she goes through slumps, still find ways to be productive in those slumps, and can she make those slumps be few and far between?
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. You know, the catcher position for Alabama between both Riley Valentine and Marley Giles, particularly. I, I mean, there are lineups where I think they're both in the lineup, uh, but who who will? kind of emerge as an every, the everyday catcher for Alabama, uh, it's going to be one of those situations where um, they will have earned it and the other one is going to be right there. Right. And
0: Riley Valentine, of course, the transfer coming
1: in from Texas A&M. Another
0: transfer coming in. Kenley Pate, 3 for 6, hitting five hundred with a walk and a run scored really, really fast. And I think showed me enough with the bat. I don't know how many at-bats she's going to get this year. But if you needed her to come in and lay down a bunt or just put it in play, I feel fairly confident that she can do that.
1: Yeah, agreed. All
0: right, Jocelyn Brisky, Tom, this is a pitcher who hits. She does. Yes, that's allowed.
1: It's both allowed and necessary at times.
0: Yeah, encouraged even. Yes. We will get to the pitching numbers in just a moment. Hitting-wise, one for five, three RBIs, a double, a walk. Coach Murphy didn't want to put her in the box a ton. She was kind of working through a couple nagging things and Mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is stress somebody who's already having to pitch while they're trying to work through some nagging things. When she made contact, I liked what I saw. I just, I don't know how many opportunities she's going to get this year.
1: Yeah. Well, she did get an opportunity to bat in the same inning three times. One of the games. Yes, that did happen. But but like three in a row, right? Which is why we don't broadcast fall ball (laughs) games. Yes. It's fall ball. Uh, practice games. But yeah, she's. I think she's going to make more of an impact, obviously, in the circle, but is a a bat that can do some damage coming off the bench. Yeah, and I think it helps
0: you've got such a deep pitching staff that you feel
1: confident to maybe give her a shot or two to come in and pinch hit, right. or maybe get a start in a midweek. I mean, we talked about, you know, jokingly at times, but you know, Montana Fouts was a good hitter. Yeah, like She could have hit, but there were, you know, there was a couple of years there where if something you know, Lord forbid it happened to Montana fouls the, at, at the plate. Like, Alabama would not have – that would have been the end. That would have been the end of everything. So, yeah. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't see Montana hit because of that.
0: No, we saw it once, yes. and it was glorious. It was the best. And that's all you're going to hear about it. <laughs> McKay Gidley, a pinch runner mostly during the fall, scored 13 runs. Big thing there, 13 runs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, coming to score a lot and also a couple steals as well. Kenley Kahalen, this, I think, is the key to everything. No pressure, Kenley. Right. 8 of 19 in the fall, 421 average, 7 RBIs, a triple, a double, four walks, and four runs scored. Every time I've drawn up a lineup, Tom, at least until somebody that we're going to talk about maybe proves that she's worthy of the position, Kenley Cahalan's your leadoff. And that means that you need the Kinley that you saw this fall and that you saw for the first 30 games last year and not the one who was solid in conference play, but who had some bad luck and who overall just wasn't getting on base quite like she should have been.
1: Yeah, I think we kind of saw Kinley because, again, famously she graduated early and came on campus and two weeks later was starting softball games. Three weeks later was hitting a home run against Florida State. Was 17 from most of last year. correct. So I think she kind of... She hit a little bit of a physical and mental wall during the season. Kind of broke broke through it and was a big contributor to Alabama's stretch run. But I think maybe with everything that has happened, getting another year, a full year in the strength conditioning program, everything that is comes with you know the offseason that you're going to have. I think you're going to see a stronger Kinley Cahalen, both mentally and physically throughout the entire season.
0: Yeah, Patrick Murphy talked about her squatting 320 wow like dang girl <laughs> kenley is going to be important and again we'll we'll talk about lineups in just a little bit abby dukeshire six for 17 353 average three rbis a double four walks six runs scored there were some days this fall where Abby dukeshire looked like a surefire starter yeah there were some other days where she didn't have her best She's still learning, just a sophomore. But Abby Dukesher seems like somebody that we're going to see
1: a lot more this year. Yeah, that's and we're going to talk about it with all these uh, all the infielders especially. It's a crowded infield yeah. for Alabama right now. Uh, someone is going to have to make it impossible for Patrick Murphy to take her out of the lineup. And you know Abby's going to be one of those people that's going to have that opportunity. We'll see what happens. Maybe Callie Hevelin makes it impossible.
0: 11 for 19. Mm. That's a 579 average. Ten RBIs, a triple, five doubles, a walk, two strikeouts, and nine runs scored. Callie Hevlin's defense alone
3: yeah, she is why
0: she'll be a starter. She ain't coming out of this lineup. No, but if she is hitting three hundred next year, after a season where she was she was good, you know, twenty two RBIs, she hit two thirty one. It tailed off at the end, right. but if she can get to three hundred or or even just two seventy and above then you've got a really interesting piece probably in the
1: back half of the lineup. But still has a power threat even at the back of the lineup. Yes. Uh, And then, you know, we talked about with Coach Murphy, won the Most Improved Player of the Year award. The only award that they give out in the fall was Callie Hevlin. Seemingly
0: again. Like, I feel like we had that
1: same discussion last year. Right. And, you know, we saw more than flashes. We saw extended periods of time where she was that last year. Yeah. But then she had some times where she fell off a little bit. If she can be that consistently all year, uh, she's going to be a huge portion of this offense for Alabama.
0: Yeah, because, again, she's going to play. Okay. The defense is is too good yeah. to keep on the bench. So, Callie, I was really, really excited by what I saw from her in the fall. Same with Emma Broadfoot. 11 for 19, 579 average. 11 RBIs, just beating out Callie for the team lead. Couple home runs, a triple, two doubles, two walks, two Ks, two runs scored. Emma interesting to see where she goes defensively right
1: but based on what i saw in the fall and based on what we saw often last year she's a starter yeah i think she's in the lineup not just in the fall ball games but all fall practice uh with the different competitions and everything else that alabama was doing she was always at the top of those yeah um she she had one of if not the best fall of anybody on in this lineup and yeah i think she she makes the lineup you know you, you figure out a place to put her defensively you know she's the dp but she's batting i
0: don't know well i mean i don't know where she's gonna play but she will play i'm thinking five spot in the lineup and then defensively we'll figure it out yeah right (laughs) she'll be somewhere yes Kristen white seven for 12 six rbis runs scored this is who i I think inevitably if alabama wants to be at their most successful this year will be the lead off hitter yeah i think the capability is there everything I saw in the fall when she wasn't healthy and not running full speed showed me that she is ready to be that kind of all sec caliber player similar to Alyssa Brown and maybe better being yeah. honest, like the potential is huge for K-Dub.
1: And I can't think of a better person for her to be under the learning tree of than Caleb bro. Yeah. Like does she can do a lot of things that Caleb bro did for Alabama.
0: Yeah, and, and I hear you. I hear you, elderly people. What? A slapper leading off? No! I, I'm i telling you, this offense in the fall was a different animal when Kristen White was leading off those games. And if you go Kristen White, Kinley, yeah. and then you, I, like, oh man, you, you've got so much potential with her at the top of the lineup. I just need to see the stuff I saw in the fall and the stuff I know she's capable of in some games early to know that it's A long term thing. Yeah, Larissa Pruitt, three for ten, RBI, triple, five walks, really good. Strikeout nine, runs scored. Also not super healthy this fall, so didn't look her best. But she'll be a starter. And then I mean,
1: I think she didn't play in a few of those football games too. So yeah, because that. But yeah, she's she's part of that offense or part of that outfield that is pretty much settled. I think going to be in the right in right field, and she could bat anywhere from she could lead off if necessary, five, six, seven in that area. She could be the nine hole, and she get, had great success in the two spot last year. Right, turn things over. So I think she is the biggest utility piece for Alabama. Uh, if if she you know continues to uh, get healthy and just keeps getting on base one way or the other, uh, she's going to be a big part of this lineup.
0: Yeah, keep in mind that there was like legitimate support for Larissa Pruitt to be SEC Freshman of the Year last year. Like that was a that was a legitimate thing. If she had had one more weekend, yeah she to one could happen yeah. Kendall Clark maybe another interesting piece she hit 500 this fall seven to 14 four RBIs two home runs two doubles three walks four K's six runs scored for me with Kendall Clark it's all about the adjustment you know she's coming from the JUCO ranks how does she adjust to D1 pitching and specifically SEC pitching also with some of these performances there were 0 for days and then the great days were
1: great days yeah the two home runs came in the same game yes and they may not have landed yet. They're she, still
0: going. She got a hold of them. So we'll see what the role is. But if you catch Kendall Clark on the right day, yeah. teams are going to regret pitching to her.
1: Yeah. She's going to be one of those kind of – I think she'll kind of be a secret weapon off the bench type situation. Uh, I think, you know, physically just looking at her, she should be the first one off off the bus. Yeah. <laughs> like she, she is a softball player.
0: Yeah, sweet as can be, but like yeah. – Intimidating. yes. Marley Giles, you talked about the catcher competition. This is my favorite stat line. Marley hit 500. She was five of 10. Three RBIs, a double,
1: seven runs scored. Tom eleven walks, eleven. <laughs> there was a three game stretch where she didn't have an official at bat because like she kept drawing walks. Like we were taking bets. Like yes. when's
0: the next one? Well, I'll I'll
1: raise you a French fry. Like it was. I mean, it was actually unreal. Yeah, between walks, hit by pitches, and sacrifice flies. Yes. She, didn't, she did not have an official at bat for like three games. It was very impressive. I love the growth that I saw from
0: Marley because, first off, 11 walks, no strikeouts, huge. That, after we saw last yeah. year. That doesn't happen no. <laughs> in 2023. And pitch recognition was such a problem last year. At the beginning part of the year, she got better, and now the Marley I'm seeing just looks confident.
1: Yeah. Like I said, I really think whoever wins the, to become the quote unquote everyday catcher. And I think there's going to be some situations where maybe Marley Giles is the everyday catcher for one or two pitchers and, yeah, and Riley Valentine's the everyday catcher for the other pitchers. Uh, but whoever's not the, the catcher is going to find ways to get in the lineup. Lauren Essman, six for 17, 353 average,
0: six RBIs, a homer, a double, a walk, a strikeout, two runs scored. In the mix at first base, obviously we'll have a chance to pitch as well because, Tom, you know, she she also pitches. She does, right. It's allowed. I mean, she's in the mix, and we'll say that. And even if she's not a starter, I liked what I saw at the tail end of last year and I liked what I saw in the fall that tells me that, that this hitting part is starting to progress to where she is a reliable bat coming off the bench if need be. Oh. Two-way player that I think is a great utility player in both positions. Yeah. Maybe just a gigantic bat coming off the bench this year. She rehabs from injury. KJ Haney, three for three, four RBIs.
1: Just great story.
0: It's hard to get better in the fall than that.
1: Yes. And, I mean, go back and and check on Alabama's social medias. The video of of her first at-bat when she got the hit. Bring a tissue. It's, 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 It's emotional for sure. I love me some
0: KJ. I, I don't know what the full availability will be because, you know, there was a reason she was coming in with the bases loaded. Right. A- and she's still trying to work back to 100%. I don't know when that timetable will be. We probably won't know until it happens. But,
1: but man, she-, she looked good. And she's definitely a weapon to to have. And you know, last year, Alabama needed one more yeah. weapon to pinch it. KJ Haney, unfortunately not available last year. Hopefully she's available this year to do that. And if
0: you can only bring her in for bases loaded situations. She has a good good track record. I mean, come on. (laughs) Sorry to our pal Bev. Yes. Rounding out the hitters, Cat Grill. Steady as ever. 4 of 15, 267 average. She had a couple really great defensive plays that took some hits away. So it's not quite indicative of her fall. Two RBIs, a double, a walk, three Ks, and three runs scored. Cat Grill. All reliable. She's going to be able to make a play whenever you call upon her.
1: Yeah, and uh, just a, a great leadership piece for her as well that she's going to be able to add in. A lot of her contributions maybe are not even seen in what's on the field. Yeah. Shall we look at the pitchers? Mm-hmm. Jocelyn Brisky, a 108 ERA, 13 innings,
0: four hits, two runs, both earned, two walks, 16 strikeouts. I liked what I saw. You know, had a couple freshman moments, gave up a home run at one point, but honestly has a lot of a lot
1: of tools yeah gave up a home run and then didn't give him another hit the rest of the game i think situation. struck
0: out like seven straight people
1: right yeah so who does that remind you of? yeah it's very very reminiscent and i think there's going to be some uh comparisons that are probably not fair to brisky yeah uh but you got to know that coming in yeah
0: and where will she fit in the staff i don't know We'll we'll cover that at some point Jayla Torrance, nine innings, six hits, one run. It was unearned, two walks, 11 strikeouts. Jayla being Jayla, I mean, her movement is still so filthy. And now the confidence is there, and you can see it. And it's yeah. it's frankly beautiful to watch. Like, she is finally blossoming into the pitcher that we knew she could be, and that makes me so excited for her
1: 2024. I mean, there's, there's a lot of really good pitchers on this staff, but Jayla Torrance is going to be pitching on the weekend
0: for yeah. Alabama. Mike Caleb Beaver as well. Central Arkansas transfer, 14 innings, six hits, one run it was earned, three walks, 15 Ks as a .5 ERA. Like, man, she can make it home. And Lance McMahon working on some different things. No spoilers for me, but I, I really like the versatility that she shows. If she can fine-tune an off-speed pitch, then look out.
1: Yeah. I mean, it got it got a lot of recognition when... Alabama was able to get her out of the transfer portal probably deserved a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, it, it happened so early. It happened so early. And then a lot of Otter ended up going to South Carolina. And so Jordy ball went in the ball portal. Went, right, and... Yeah. So, th- th- but it's, it's going to be hard outside of those two names, maybe to find a more impactful fifth year senior pitcher, you know, getting, getting her shot at the, at the big time, than than Kayla Beaver. And what will we see from
0: Ailey Johnson, the LSU transfer? 14 innings, 9 hits, 3 runs, all earned, no walks, 26 strikeouts. Best changeup I saw this fall. It was actually kind of similar to Kendall Clark. There would be some innings where it just, yeah, it's not happening. Give up the hits, you know. A couple control issues but when the control was reeled in yeah and she was able to utilize the change up and mix it in with her fast stuff that's when ailey to me showed that she could also be a weekend starter
1: yeah and but even those type of innings it wasn't that she would give up like multiple extra base hits or home runs it was just right like, uh, here's another single and another single and another single i mean it's so.
0: it's important that i said no walks even right. though there were probably the most three ball counts of anybody on the pitching staff this fall.
1: Yeah. She did a good job of getting herself out of trouble when those type of innings were happening. But then, yeah, like you said, she'd have innings where it was easy breezy. So um, yeah, there's so many different options for Patrick Murphy and everybody looked really good.
0: Yeah. Lauren Espin, six innings, two hits, no runs, no walks, four Ks. We did not read Alex Salter's name, still working through a couple injury things uh, lingering and why force the issue. Yeah but that's that's six arms that you trust and i think lauren also showed some good stuff in the fall all in all there's a reason i don't have a lineup question in the mailbag
1: i'll just say that yeah yeah i mean i i think this is if you're an alabama fan and i know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are uh you have a lot to be excited about in
0: 2024 and let's get to the mailbag and see if we can provide even more things to be excited about tom okay all right here we go fan mail fans of softball not necessarily of us, but maybe. And if you are, thank you. Yes. And again, sponsorships of the pod are available. I will wait for my $75 million check. <laughs> it can be whatever size. I'll take a big right. check or just a regular check.
1: Take it to a big bank. Either way, <laughs> cash it.
0: Annie, how has the addition of a hitting coach and the hiring of bro impacted the team already? So this seemed to me, Tom, like a good spot to talk about watching Caleb Bro coach.
1: Mm-hmm. And... Which we alluded to a little bit with Patrick Murphy in the interview. But, yes.
0: Um. There there were ways that she was able to communicate to the players that I thought perfectly blended Stephanie Van brakel and Allison Habits. And her knowledge is so vast, and she's – gosh, she's seen so much working for the Mariners, working for ESPN, talking to all these coaches around the country, covering the game. And that knowledge was expressed to the players in a way that – I think made it really easy for them to digest and I really really
1: liked what I saw in those relationships early on yeah dumbing it down is not the right word but a way that she was able to simplify what can be a very complicated skill or aspect of the game she does a great job of that and I think being that she's not she's not that far removed from being a player she's you know it's not that many years in between she can still relate to the players so well and, and can communicate the way that they communicate. Uh, I think that had a lot to do with it as well in there, you know, the way that she is able to coach them. Yeah. I I agree. I, I heard a lot of Allie. I heard a lot of stuff in there. And then I heard a lot of what she does. You know, yeah. You know, it was like, she is her own person. Absolutely. So it, it was, a, it, it was a lot of fun just to kind of, sit there and absorb and watch how all all the coaches uh, bro in particular uh were able to communicate and coach these other players
0: yeah i was really 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 impressed also it does help that like you said she's cool she's been around people know who she is and people trust her and people in this program trust her and also she loves alabama and she always has also shout out to dylan who is helpful in every way? Sure, of course. Yes. Yeah. I mean, have you met a sweeter child? N-
1: not many. There, is, yeah. Just the she, eyes light up. It, um, yeah, and it, it's fun to watch which player is going to be the one in charge of Dylan today, and that is chosen by Dylan. Yeah, <laughs> she is. She has the final yes, and yes, that and that's. That's the
0: end. I love that I just made a hand motion as if people can see. Sure, they cannot. This is an audio platform.
1: But who does Dylan reach for? All right, you are now in charge of Dylan for the time. So adding
0: bro, huge. Adding Adam, I think, was huge because we're seeing the process fine-tuned. And I would say, based on what I've seen, this is an Alabama team that is so sure of what they're doing offensively. And everyone seems to be on
1: the same page. There's a ton of coach communication. Right. But to bring it to be Adam, who is somebody that's been around. He's been here, so you're not reinventing the wheel. You're not bringing in somebody that's totally different and totally switching things around because it's not that Alabama needed a total overhaul. They needed fine tuning. They needed the screws tightened and that's what Adam Arbor is able to do. Which leads us into the next question from Jerry. Mm. It was very revealing in the last two
0: year, Bama couldn't hit the ball in numerous games and especially getting the timely hit. Has the hiring of a hitting coach showing showed, I assume, improvement in area? So my answer is, I don't know. We haven't played any games. right? And the thing that we always talk about with timely hitting is it is not a coachable thing. It is purely mental. Right. So do I think the offense will be better this year statistically? I do. I think that I've seen enough evidence to say that that should be Pretty obvious, does that mean that the runners in scoring position number will be better? I don't know I because so, I'm not you know, inside the girls' right. heads, yes,
1: and also, as we talked about, it's not that Alabama couldn't hit uh the problem was you know when the hits came sometimes uh so I think uh, again i I bristle at the notion that Alabama didn't hit or couldn't hit in big games or uh, or or had games where they quote unquote couldn't hit. They also had games where they played like elite pitching. Yeah. Like no one was hitting these like
0: Washington in game three was literally the only team that consistently hit Nigerie Candy last
1: year. Right. It took Oklahoma
0: 14 innings to get like
1: eight hits. And by the way, their offense is pretty good. Yeah. So and you know they get the timely hits more often than not.
0: And also uh, I hate I hate like we gotta move on from this. I hate right. talking about it. The the situational hitting numbers were not atrocious. They weren't as good as they could have been. Right. For sure. There's always room for improvement. They were not last or even bottom five in any of the categories that I'm looking at right now because I've got the actual stats and facts in front of me. Right. You know, with runners on base, there were they were right in the middle of the pack. There were six teams behind them. Runners in scoring position, pretty much the same deal. Like and you want to be higher the middle of the pack
1: for sure. But it's not like it was in the dregs of the SEC. And they also had numerous chances. So that means that people were getting on base. Yeah. To begin with. Yeah. Fourth most at-bats with runners in scoring position. Right. So, But it's impossible to know that until actual games are played. Right. But so I, I, I feel good about it. I, I think it'll be fine. I do. Jason,
0: has the transfer portal helped fill needs and have any players landed any NIL deals? Uh, yes and yes. Yeah.
1: Check any of the players' social medias. You will find ways you can help them out with nil.
0: Yeah, I thought about making a list, and I was like, no, because I don't have two hours to go right. through their instas. But they've got they've got plenty of opportunities. So you want cat grill sweatpants? You can get cat grill sweatpants. That's right. You know, I saw Bailey posted on Instagram the other day about some jewelry store in town or something. Yeah, and yeah. So plenty of opportunities. Softball doing fine nil wise, but you know, always contribute if you want to. Sure, absolutely. All right, Natalie. This is a media day's question. Which coach surprised you most with their candor, and what was it they said that caught your attention? Could I say elk steak? Was
1: that <laughs> elk steak got our attention? Considering this is the second time that we've talked to her, Trisha Ford. Yeah, had, had a lot of really had, was had a lot of candor. I thought.
0: Yeah, I thought I, I always think you get that out of Tim Walton as well, to the point where it's not even really a surprise. I think a lot of Alabama fans don't really know how truly open he is. And they if you hear it in the interviews, then you understand a little bit of it. But every time we talk to Tim Walton, we're on there for a while because we're chatting about everything under the sun. Right. Also, Courtney Diefel talking about her health struggles. I'm really... Happy that the timing worked out to where we talked to her right after the article came out yeah. so that we could discuss it with her because I wouldn't have known yeah. had that article we not had, come out.
1: Nobody had any idea
0: yeah. that any of that had happened. But I'm glad that, that she got the chance to, to tell her story and explain why it was important that she revealed that to Justin McLeod and the fine folks of the Dugout Digest.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: Natalie also asks which pitchers were mentioned for your draft that weren't on your radar? I'm not surprised that she was mentioned a lot of people talked about chelsea wilkinson and a lot of people talked about the renfro sisters not that they weren't on my big board yeah but i i was impressed at how many coaches mentioned them immediately
1: yeah i was glad that a lot of people mentioned kelsey dunn as well
0: that yeah like a Mm -hmm. lot of people first mentioned kelsey dunn
1: yeah because she's she's one that i mean just so dominant it set so many records at alabama uh, but because Jackie Traina won the national championship, because Montana Fouts is Montana Fouts, that you know you might not think about her as much, but she was as dominant as anybody that's pitched at Alabama. And then
0: one last thing from Natalie: Were there any who weren't mentioned that shocked you?
1: It was interesting that a lot of the coaches were trying to make sure that they either t- hit at least one person from each team, or was trying not you know not to forget anybody. And you know we were we were trying to remind them we're not we're not asking for a complete list. we just want some of the people that are the first ones off the top of your head. but I mean nobody really jumped out that I can't believe they didn't nobody talked about this person.
0: I thought that we would get more mentions of Lauren Hager. I, I think a lot of people think of her as utility and not quite pitcher pitcher. yeah uh it was nice to hear a couple Shelly Laird references. not a single person said Alexis Osorio, I That's don't true. believe You're right maybe one person, but no mention delaney gurley no i mean there were there were a couple that i i thought we would hear more about yeah but i mean again as we talked about there are 50 people you could say
1: yeah and and we were springing it on the coaches they had no idea that was coming
0: (laughs) every single coach sat back and looked up and said Hmm. hmm. And you heard it all because I didn't take out the hmms. <laughs> it would have taken so long to edit. This has already been a six-hour podcast. Cody, what has impressed you most about this year's Alabama team and who is a player to look out for this upcoming season? I might just ask, Tom, like, who, who is your X
1: Factor for this year? Spin-off of Cody's question. Wow. The catcher combo. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, the Riley Valentine, uh, Marley Giles combo. If they're able to continue... The elevated play that we saw uh, from both of them in the fall to where, you know, whoever is not catching is so good. You got to you got to get them in as DP. I think Alabama's in really good space. I agree. I'm going
0: to go with Callie Hevlin. We talked about it. She's going to play, but can she back it up with offensive numbers wherever she is in the lineup? I tend to think it'll be somewhere between six through eight, but. I mean shoot, if you've got a reliable power threat who's hitting for average as well in the bottom half, then that probably means your top half is thriving. Yeah. And so Cali could be a good window into how overall the offense is doing in 2024. Also in Broadfoot and then Yeah. all the pitchers. I mean, and I think Christian White again, I mean, I already talked about her impact, but if she can reach what I think she can reach, I don't want to put too many things on her. But I'm really excited to see if she can do it. Finally, from OU Fan Forever. Oh. Who do you cheer for? (laughs) Just kidding. This is a good friend uh, from the message boards and from Twitter. Early prediction for player. Our apologies (laughs) to to OU Fan Forever. (laughs) They like the show. Okay. okay. I think. I hope. We'll see. Early prediction for player of the year, pitcher of the year, and freshman of the year. So I'm going to just say right now freshman of the year, no idea. I've not done a deep dive on the national freshman. I'm sure that we'll find out after about a month player of the year. Does anyone stick out for you? I think I have my answer and I think it's the same as my preseason SEC player of the year pick.
1: Are you saying Kiki?
0: I am saying Kiki. Kiki, do you love me? Mm. Probably not, but I know you love that hardware. Yeah. Kiki Malloy, my preseason player of the year.
1: Okay, I, I, it's, hard, it's hard to argue with that. I, I probably, I'd probably have to agree with you to at least start off with
0: SEC player of the year, yeah, and I think National was like very, very, very on the table for Kiki.
1: Speaking of OU though, I need to go through I yeah. which I haven't done. Oklahoma. TRE, Jada, right. like we know. Yeah. Yes, so I, I would say I would say, I will go with uh, the best player in Oklahoma. <laughs> I like your odds, <laughs> Doug. Right. You can have the field. I'll take Tiger Woods is basically what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> hey, shout out to Tiger coming back this week at the Hero World Challenge. Yeah. Shot even over four days with a guy who has like Half a fake body. That's awesome.
1: I, I saw his uh, the video of him, you know, walking to the clubhouse this morning as we're recording. <laughs> Several of the captions were: "Is he going to play golf or is he going to be linebacker for the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys today?" My gosh, The guy is yoked.
0: Um. All right, pitcher of the year, National Pitcher of the Year, Nyjeri Candy.
1: I would think she's the probably front runner to start off with. Like I don't know who in the sec might be here here's contending. an ending inter- here's an interesting scenario what if which i think is possible what if alana Bader comes in and just runs the sec this year and how interesting a ooh competition would it be if it's kennedy against Bader for pitcher of the year nationally
0: i love it you're
1: dastardly Tom. Yeah, i know that's what i like to do oh man
0: yeah, it's it's an interesting year because you lost a lot of the big names, the the Titans, you know, and and I think Jordy Ball is really good. I I don't I don't yeah. think it's going to happen this year. Maybe next year, but I don't think it's going to happen this year at Nebraska. But with like faramo has gone, Fouts is gone. I get. I mean, we didn't even mention Valerie Kegel for Player of the Year. If she doesn't win that, she could win pitcher. Kegel's still here. Kegel's still here. God, still kicking. It's her fifteenth year of eligibility. Kicking chicken classic starring valerie i have no idea if they're playing in that. she's in, is
1: she in myrtle beach <laughs> maybe who's to say speaking of home runs that haven't landed yet bailey hemphills <laughs> in the kick and chicken classic her first year freshman year hit one over the center field uh bullpen nuggets for everyone oh my god some people will accept that and only that
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you OU fam forever for hitting us up and now
1: some people walk for two miles <laughs> has 10 restaurants it'd be like that sometimes (laughs)
0: thank you to everybody who sent in questions that joke is for one person (laughs) and somewhere he is laughing (laughs) i wonder who it's for you just got a letter all right tom are you ready i I love inside jokes i'd
1: love to be part of one one day
0: maybe the letter is l we'll see Mm. if we take l's or take dubs with our way too early sec top fives remember folks this is no particular order and way too early as yes said. last year don't hold us to it i I think i had tennessee in there even though i later picked them to win the league
1: yeah who's to say was last year when i picked tennessee way low or was that two years you ago? had them seventh okay
0: all right i'm gonna flip my women's college world series commemorative coin tom you were the ncaa logo because i know you love them so much <laughs> thank you and i am much. the world series logo
1: you go first terrible flip okay well it's in the wrapping <laughs> Well, I'm going to go uh, alphabetical order on, okay. uh, on mine. I like it. So it is in particular order. It's alphabetical. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to start off with the Alabama Crimson Tide. I think Alabama is going to be in the top five of the conference. Again, under the radar to start off with, uh, but we'll be making waves in March and April when you want to.
0: And I will agree with you. I have Alabama in the top five. I've already done the initial charting of the standing. So this is right now based on what we have and i would like to point out and we didn't even mention this earlier uh, yesterday when we did the the day three episode there are things that are changing the day after we interviewed tim walton kayla pollard went in the portal so there are going to be shifts from now until the season starts but as of right now i do have alabama in the top five all right all right my next team i'm going to just go ahead and put them in georgia bulldogs wow this is a team that I think can win the conference, and I don't think that's a very bold
1: proclamation at all. Agreed. I am going to, with my second pick, take the Arkansas Razorbacks. Ooh. So much returning. If they can find that piece that will replace Shanice Dels. Uh, and again, similar to what you do with Alabama with Montana Fouts, maybe not one person, but uh, if they can have the staff that can handle what Dell's brought at this point i think arkansas has earned the benefit of you know put them in So I, right. think arkansas is there. I think that's fair tom your third team again going alphabetical georgia everything you said that they they are a conference and national contender
0: mm, alphabetical i'm trying to internally figure out who's next for you because i'm just throwing
1: things at the okay. board well if it's alphabetical we know we're past the F's. That's true. So they they don't hmm. make it. All right, I'm going to say Tennessee.
0: Just just going yeah. off a real real ledge here, going out
1: on a limb. Yeah, just
0: bold stuff. Uh, Tennessee's going to be good if they're outside of the top five in the SEC this year. It it would be as stunning a result in this conference as we've seen in quite a while. Like,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. They're they're a similar to Georgia. They're a conference and national contender.
0: Yeah, my fourth team. I'm doing it. South Carolina. I've been riding the train. We just talked about Vaughter and the potential to maybe win national pitcher of the year. <laughs> the schedule is perfect. Yeah. I, South Carolina is to me nearing Tennessee status in terms of if they're outside the top five this year, it is a massive, massive disappointment. I, I would almost lock them up as a top five team right now.
1: Yeah, me too. That's why they're next on my list they they have all the pieces we'll see if they all gel again they're they're relying on a lot i think the big question for south carolina they're relying on a lot of transfer portal yeah for this year which they're not alone in that that is becoming a more each year it's not it's not not a big deal but they all have to gel together if they all gel together south carolina is going to be very very dangerous and they have a schedule that plays right into them
0: all right tom you are last who is your fifth team tennessee
1: Makes sense. There this is go. kind
0: of going exactly like I thought it would.
1: Right. So again, that's why I said. I thought we might have the same top five talked about the whole time. Tennessee, I think is going to be, they're not going to be a unanimous pick, but I think they're going to be the preseason pick to win the conference. Uh, they're going to be pretty close to unanimous. I'm thinking about switching it up.
0: Arkansas, to be quite clear, is, is my fifth team in most of my projections. But there has been a team who has snuck around, to my surprise. Mm. And I'm thinking about just for the sake of good podcasting, putting this team here. And so, since this means nothing. Sure. Because the people come for good podcasting. And the, we are not being held to this whatsoever. All right. I'm going to just go ahead and write down LSU. Really? Yeah. I I've, You know, we discussed the senior class. It's just, it's so much talent. I I really like what Coach Tarina said about Bryce Neal and bringing him to the coaching staff. I I think that Kelly Lynch can be unlocked. Sidney Berzon was going to win SEC freshman of the year if it wasn't Carlin Pickens last year. I I just, I think that this is an LSU team. Like now's the time. So I'm going against what I did last year where I downpicked them so that, you know, I, I wouldn't overrate them. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm, making the move of putting them in the top five. Like I said, in most of my projections, that fifth team is Arkansas. But I did run a few numbers where it was LSU. So I don't think it's out of the question.
1: The team I thought you were going to say, when you said it's not going to be Arkansas, but the team that's been floating around that might jump in there, was Auburn. Interesting.
0: They were there last year for me.
1: Right. Because, I don't know if you've heard, Maddie Pinto.
0: Yeah. Is and, the pitcher. You know, as we discussed, Alabama Tennessee Arkansas all at home
1: yeah so I think they're kind of they're a dark horse candidate uh again if they can find the offense around them and if if Maddie Pinson can get just a little bit more help in the circle uh Auburn could be that team
0: and as we discussed A&M you know I, I don't know if they're one of the top five most talented teams in the league I don't think it would surprise either of us if we saw them in the final top five
1: yeah LSU again you know, kind of the similar situation to what we've talked about, or what I, you know, why I kept picking Kentucky was they the best player, yeah, like Kayla Kowalik. You know, LSU, you could make the case, you know, offensively Taylor pleasant might be the best player in the league outside of Kiki Beloy. Will she be able to just put the team on her back and bring it up there? Same thing, with Aaron Koffel. Will she be able to do the same thing with Kentucky if Stephanie Schoonover is healthy all year? I think Kentucky. First Just off, not in the running for this. No, probably not. I, I really wonder where they're going to be in our preseason poll. I think that they have maybe the most variation possibility.
0: Yeah. I think it's a, also, you said the F word earlier, Florida. You, you right. mentioned that we had passed the Fs. We have not mentioned Florida here. They seem to be like in full, at least for us, wait and see mode.
1: Right. I totally agree. I mean who's pitching we're talking about Florida not Kentucky who's pitching yeah. um and we know they're good right? but
0: can they be excellent as freshmen yeah with with like no help
1: <laughs> Missouri is Larissa Anderson going to be down multiple years in a row I find that hard to.
0: that bring. seems really unlikely when you say it like that right and it's not like they were that far off last year no I mean they uh, they had
1: some they had some bad luck yeah And then the the two Mississippi schools, they're, they're probably not, again, they're not in this conversation, but they could beat, in a one-game scenario, they could beat almost anybody in this conversation. Yeah. That's why this is the best conference. That's why, yes. That's why we make it over undefeated Florida State. Oh, wait, that's a different
0: thing. Tom, all right, you know what? That's (laughs) it for the way too early top fives do you have anything off the wall i did have a little something i want to mention but i want to see if you wanted to shout anything out before we well, close out media yeah. days well we discussed it on, on in the mailbag
1: can't make can't make judgments on how the season's gonna go when we haven't played a game yet but thank you for <laughs> I, I i'd like to think i'm a good evaluator
0: right i can't evaluate something that hasn't happened yet
1: gave it a shot can't yeah
0: i would like to make a comparison Alabama football and team 27. So last year, we talked about this. You've, you've eloquently discussed this many times for the last year. I can't, how I can't, I can't imagine <laughs> what <laughs> I've eloquently discussed. Well, but okay. you talked about how last year, the way the season went, the Alabama coaches were allowed to almost enjoy the ride right. and enjoy the process and the journey and the story. They, you could appreciate what was happening as it was happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that last year we saw the Alabama softball fan base in a lot of ways do that. And i I really want to give props. I can't believe I'm doing this to the Alabama football fan base as well, because wow. I think they've kind of done the same thing with this football team this year. They yeah. recognized when they went to home games, you can't just sit like this year's team needed you. And I got the feeling talking to people at the game talking to people over text and and group chats that win or lose against Georgia in or out of the playoff, people were satisfied. They had enjoyed the season. They felt like the season was a success. I can't remember the last time people thought that about a year where at the time a national championship was certainly not guaranteed and potentially in doubt. A national championship was in doubt nine hours ago as we record yeah and people were still extremely satisfied with the year now they can still win a national championship but i really really like the fact that this year's alabama team and to an extent last year's softball team were able to pull people back into reality that you know what the championships are the standard and that's what you want at alabama but sometimes it's okay to be really really happy with a just strong year yeah and i i appreciate that people are starting to realize that sometimes good things can just be good. And we don't have to always complain about wanting to go even higher. Even higher is awesome. But sometimes we can just be happy with the good things when they come. Allison Habits,
1: the great philosopher, great philosopher, Allison Habits said something to the effect of, you know, it's not that fun of a story if you just bulldoze everybody. right? Like there has to be some adversity at some point. And I think, you know, Team twenty seven, the Alabama football season this year. People, we felt the adversity, felt like you know this so, felt the struggle, and then were able to appreciate and enjoy the growth and the improvement and overcoming the obstacles and the odds. Which you know, Alabama football is not you. You're, you don't associate overcoming the odds with right. Alabama football. Like oh, what right, was I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> poor poor old little old Alabama <laughs> football, but. If you watch that Texas game and the South Florida game, you are not thinking this team is going to win the 30th SEC championship in program history and make it to the playoffs. No. I heard people saying, shoot, at halftime of the Tennessee game, I was told they're not going to win another game other than the Chattanooga game. Seven and five, Music
0: City Bowl. I have screenshots of texts at halftime of the old Miss game suggesting it was time to fire Saban and bring in Dion. <laughs> Boy, did I love flashing those receipts the other night!
1: You mean SI Sportsman of the Year, Dion Sanders? Uh, yes, of course. Noted, Who else would they pick? Noted four and eight football coach. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think very similar to Team Twenty Seven. There were struggles. You saw them overcome the struggles and have success. I think people genuinely like. people on the team yeah how can you not like Jalen miller oh my gosh like you know
0: personality off the charts the
1: charisma is insane isaiah bond you know great guy you know Deontay lawson i mean you you love all these people so you you cheer for them not just because they're wearing alabama an alabama uniform you're cheering for them because you actually like them right uh and i think that's similar to what happened in team 27. now that being said a lot of the people celebrating today were the same ones that it had had i kept those receipts from Mm -hmm the Texas, South Florida weeks, we're not celebrating that time. Right. Like, and I think we still need to, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to even voice your frustrations. But I think Alabama football, Alabama softball, pretty much every sport at Alabama, go along with the ride. And I, and I agree. I think for the most part, the fan base has done a great job of going along with the ride. Yeah, uh, for football this year.
0: Yeah, and so let's keep that. Yes, let's keep that mentality. Continue like, that. If something bad happens, we because don't it's...
1: have to burn it down. Because I'm going to go out and live... Alabama. Probably not going to go undefeated this year. Would love it. Don't think it's going to happen. No, I mean Oklahoma,
0: best team ever, still lost. Now they lost once, right? But they there was still an L.
1: You know, athletics a lot of times is the pursuit of perfection, which most of the time is impossible, but you keep pursuing it.
0: Right. That's well put. Thank you. Yeah, I just I can know, be eloquent at times. I, like I said, <laughs> see, you <laughs> doubted yourself, and then here we are. Here we are. You're calling yourself eloquent. What a journey that was for you over the five minutes we just had that discussion. Growth. <laughs> Speaking of growth, let's keep it up, Mama fans, we can, <laughs> and and really fans of everybody. We've we've got a lot of other fan bases tuning in. Please keep that energy as well. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll wrap it all up. Four episodes, four days, 2023 softball media days. The conclusion is next. All right, we made it. Turns out we were going for 40 hours.
1: hey Uh
0: That one's for, like, us. And maybe <laughs> ribs, if she listens this far. But no one goes on a walk this long. No. Gray, Tom, Out of the Box Podcast, Softball Media Days. Tom, we, we have done it. What a year. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to the coaches, of course, but the SIDs for responding and helping us coordinate schedules, oftentimes when they are not in softball season. They're working other sports, but they find a way to make it happen. We're forever grateful for them. As we look back at all 14 coaches that we chatted with, Lacey Prejean and the 13 SEC head coaches, What was the main takeaway for you?
1: Uh, I think that, again, as we talked about at the very beginning, everyone likes likes their team in October, November. I think think we have all the teams that we discussed have a really good ceiling. I would be surprised if any of them hit a, a big floor. But I think everyone, even the teams that we think are conference and national championship contenders in this league, have question marks. And we'll probably hit some roadblocks throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, and how? And we'll see. Even if the you know, there's a lot of teams that we kind of know what they are. Even the ones that we don't, that they're going to have times where we still don't know what they are. But we'll they'll they'll figure it out by the time we get into conference play. Though. One of my big
0: takeaways. I feel fairly confident. I wasn't sure what the answer would be. I feel fairly confident in the next decade for sure we will have a neutral site SEC softball tournament. There seemed to be enough support in the discussions that we had that that is going to happen at some point down the road if we find the right facility. And maybe like Tony Baldwin said, it's contingent on baseball going somewhere else. That could maybe happen. But that seems like something that the people who like the idea are passionate enough about to make that happen in the near future.
1: I think the main issue there is that I don't know if that facility exists yet.
0: Right. Yeah, because if it's not the Met, maybe. I mean, we had a couple people mention there is the place in Columbus, but
1: yeah, I don't know. I I think your the but, destinations would be either because I, I agree. I don't think it's something where you want to play it at Oklahoma City. Yeah, but no. I I think I'm sure Texas would be a possible situ, a possible place you could go. But I think you either do Texas, you do Nashville, or you do the beach. And you're probably going to have to build the facility wherever you go.
0: Yeah. If we want to do Nashville, Michelle. Yes. Let's all work together to find a place. right. Last thing, all these coaches are awesome. And they're all really good people who don't have to come on this podcast. They are not obligated whatsoever to answer these emails. Zero obligation. And so we're not going to hold a microscope to their faces And ask them, like ridiculously gritty. I hate this phrase, but big J journalism. Quite, we're going to ask them about their teams. We're going to ask them about themselves. We're going to ask about the state of their program. But I'm not trying to dig for crap. Right. I just I want the information so that you, the people out there, can get it. And I'm thankful that the coaches continue to say yes. Also, this is the final time it'll be like this. Next year we'll have OU in Texas.
1: It'll be interesting to see if we get everybody
0: on board. How will that layout work? I don't know, but we'll find out. That's all we've got. All right. Yes. You good? We did it again. Yeah. I dig it. I like winning. And we won 14 for 14. Checkmate. Future of the pod. Uh, Season six is starting in about two months. Six years. Old. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But your children are aging. Yeah. From when we first started this podcast. They're like driving now. I know. College is soon, Tom. Don't remind me. <laughs> also, we'll do Out of the Box Office coming up with our friend Kevin Brown. It'll be The Social Network. And then Best Movies of the Year. It'll either be in December or early January. Uh, folks, shout out to Kevin. I think he posted this on social media. They just had a baby. So, oh. congrats to the Browns. Nice. And uh, because of that, Kevin not making it to the theater all that What? Happened. I know. Fatherhood.
1: I know. It really carves into your your time for hobbies <laughs> carves into your time for time and sleeping yeah Oh,
0: shout out Kevin so we'll yes. let you know when that happens also out of the boxing day December 26th day after Christmas we'll make a bunch of announcements we're gonna do the food tour with a special guest next year I'm putting it on the schedule it's gonna happen okay
1: yes right. I like it and as far as the uh, the best movies of the year again I, this, I like that episode because you're telling me about movies I've probably never heard of <laughs>
0: look i'm here to inform right
1: although we are going to see iron claw this is happening
0: yes i i'm yes and we're going to actually specifically make sure that that episode is recorded after we see iron claw so that it can be included if it deserves to be oh it'll deserve we'll to be. see well we'll see i don't know i've seen a lot of movies this year i will not give you a number all right tom if... i can't tell you a movie that's at the theater right now couldn't do it right. gun to my head the couldn't... marvels is still there so really it is in two theaters in tuscaloosa left wow two like individual theaters we only still have the one cop. right But yeah still hanging around heard it was not good i'll watch it on the plus yeah <laughs> so much now we have to go to the playoff oh my gosh right.
1: again as i said i if you're if you are a grown man and go by the name boo booger jimbo or Dabo, i can't take you seriously <laughs> get a real name um well speaking of names if you're those are dog names (laughs) at best back Um, to the pod if you want to read
0: more of those fire takes, (laughs) boo canterbury what you got on twitter what's your username tell the people
1: t canterbury rtr on the twitter and if you go there right now you'll see a lot of stuff from the super seven here in tuscaloosa
0: ah yes that's correct we always love that time of year Uh, I'm at gray gray underscore Robertson of course follow the pod out of the box underscore pod like subscribe leave a review tell us what you want the format to be next year because honestly open to suggestions 16 teams
1: oh geez for the love of god what are we doing well I mean we, we could not do the mystery team and do 15 and do five days three apiece but i like doing the mystery team
0: i like the mystery team too i like shining a light you know yeah i
1: don't know I mean, do a lot of different ways. by the way there was
0: some discussion very very briefly in the early stages about florida state being the mystery team that would have been hilarious but wow man
1: that trip in uh in march
0: is gonna be how many people are gonna say something to us i'll have the discussion with anybody
1: oh no i know but just like in passing right. oh yeah just you know well after georgia beats them by 50 in the Orange Bowl. And we win the national championship. They won't have much to say.
0: Keep the receipts, folks. We'll see if Tom's right. We'll find out whenever we come back. I don't know when that'll be. But, Tom, thank you to you. Thank you to all the SIDs. Thank you, coaches. We did it. 2023 Softball Media Days is done. Again, SIDs, SEC schools, Northwestern State, everybody, Thank you for making this happen. And thank you listeners. Seriously. I did not mean for these episodes to be a total of 40 hours, but we probably got close. And if you listen to every word, we appreciate you and are kind of worried. Yeah. I don't know if I'll listen to every word of this, but <laughs> I, I won't. I mean, the editing process is going to be really, really quick. Thank you to Tom for being flexible with the schedule. Thank you to all the listeners. Season 6 is coming up in 2024, and we'll have some things before then. Be on the lookout for a premiere date at some point. TBD, it'll be before the Super Bowl. For my partner Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson, saying so long. Thank you for joining us on this journey through the wonderful world that is Softball Media Days. We can't wait for 2024. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.